So, people, well, we're not sure what episode we're on. <laughs> yeah, this is the Knife Journal podcast <laughs> recording to you, well, live for us. This will be a little <laughs> later for you, live from PWIP. North Carolina, Marion, North Carolina. Yeah, and uh, or Rutherfordton, North Carolina. Yeah. Well, we would have recorded yesterday when we got here, but we had to get camp set up. Then it started raining, and uh, so we didn't record. But it's the first morning. We did have a couple beers. Well, you did. I can't be doing that. You can't be drinking beers. I can't be drinking anything. Why? Because of that one time that I drank all that uh, sour ale. Oh, okay. And I, uh, I've uh, really kind of backed off of that. And plus, I'm, I'm a little chubby. <laughs> I meant to talk to you about that. Yeah, look at me now, though. Look at me now, man. Yeah, you're skinny now. Good. You're skinny. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm uh, trying to be a good boy this trip. I may have one beer or something, but not last night. I'm not going to drink much. Much. Yeah. I said much. Well, you know, the very surprising thing, all of the people that are here so far went way minimalist for yep. them. Yep. Because uh, our friend uh, Skinny Dave showed up with, like, a tenth of the stuff that he always does. Right. And uh, last year... Uh, last year we had, like, the Taj Mahal out here. Right, and the camp just got out of control. It definitely and, was. Right, and so uh, he... He decided he was going to go minimalist, and he he did for him. Yep. And then and actually, uh, you know, I sort of did too. Yeah, you definitely did. All you have is your your teepee. And that's little, it. You did Kifu tent, and everything fits inside it. I'm not yeah. not too far out of control. Um, no, yeah, I, I'm. I didn't bring a big camp stove. I brought my little Optimus. Actually, I bought two. I brought my my uh, Svea mm-hmm. and that stove. That's yep. the two stoves I bought it. But I actually, my, my wife looked at my shit and she said. Really? You're going to bring my Cafflon pan? <laughs> and I said, that's for scrambled eggs, babe. Yeah. Well, if you and then if you look up over your right shoulder, if you look up the hill, you'll see Chuck Sims up there. Yep. He, he went minimalist again this year. Yep. Actually, less stuff this year than he had last year. Yep. He's got a very well set up camp. Yeah. We have Garrett that showed up. We haven't seen him in a couple years. And he forgot his tent. Yeah. So, so he's, he's going minimalist, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're... I... I one of these nights if it uh, if it gets uh, I mean I don't mind cold but I do it's, mind rain. It's supposed to be it's supposed to run to like a, a twenty or something like that tomorrow night or yeah. tonight. tonight. Yeah, one of these nights it's supposed to be real low, but yeah. So you know I don't I don't mind cold but I do mind rain. But if if we can find a night where we know we're not going to get rain, I might just do the tarp thing. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. I got my cot and my teepee, so I'm pretty happy. Yeah, he's got a cot. My my teepee though is I, I I like sleeping on a cot. I really do. But that tent is just you got to do everything on your knees. Yeah. You know you can't get around in there on your feet. So, and I suppose you got to do everything on your back in there. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much. So I mean, there's no 
either crawling around on your hands and knees because you can't you can't even yeah. knee up, can you? Yeah, you, you well you you're bent. You're yeah. So my Jim's looking at my tent. I brought a, a Hilberg, my little one man Hilberg, and then over the top of it I have pitched my MSR E wing at a bit of an angle so that my vestibule has extra protection from any water. We got to take a break for a second because I got to okay. go get some more water and get make coffee. Later, people. seems for Geely. Oh yeah. Well, you got to kind of be careful about how you're setting it up and stuff. But the the deal with the Whisper Light stoves is uh, they work at altitude. Right. Well, those do too. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, why. That's, yeah. That's that's why uh, Shackleton took them to the South Pole. Yeah. And they work in cold, mm-hmm. freezing cold. You know. So I, I actually missed about 10 seconds of audio there. Um, we were just talking about the gear we brought, and I brought a. Uh, uh, MSR micro light, I think. Yeah. It's one of the little compressed fuel things. And actually, uh, I'm going through fuel at a pretty good clip. I'm going to have to calm my ass down with that. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, there's plenty of fuel left, but last night uh, it got to be about 10 o'clock, and Jim's like, well, I guess it's too late to cook. <laughs> <laughs> so I whipped out uh, some. I was going to eat all those those Girl Scout cookies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cookies aren't a dinner, though. I know. But we, so, we, uh, I had a can of, uh, like, the Lechoy chow mein vegetables and a pork chop and some minute rice. And so I cut us up a pork chop and browned it real quick and then uh, added in the vegetables and the rice, and we had chop suey. Hmm. And a bunch of people had it. It was pretty good. <clears throat> then, there's, then there's our friend David, who has, who has a... Uh, I like that. Um, there's a he's wearing a knife that is uh, significant. Yeah, yeah. I saw. Actually, do you want to know how I cut the pork chop up yesterday? No, no, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? The Presidio? No. Which no. one is this? That's oh, the AFO. Oh, nice. Yeah, he saw that yesterday. Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually cut our pork chop with that. This this blade shape. Is actually the blade shape of the cruiser. Yeah, it's gonna have a it's gonna have a fuller in it. Yeah, but it's gonna look real similar to this. Yeah, that's nice. No, it's gonna have a brass guard. And oh, you're gonna and put aluminum the pommel. Well, yeah, brass uh, guard up yep. there. It's gonna have four um, four hole, four pins. Yeah, and then one um, then one aluminum pommel. Oh, I love this. Good. Knife. This is a nice knife. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and then he comes up with this. Those of you who like hot sauce. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we... <laughs> is that... That's Chipotle Tabasco. Oh, my <laughs> God. He's got a gallon container of it here. So, he, my uh, water for my washing my pans just boiled over and put, soiled my... Yeah, put it out. Yeah. Not just soiled it. Put it out. 
Yeah, so um, I'm looking. I got distracted by this <laughs> glorious one-gallon jug. jug. Like, you know, you, you see these old movies with these moonshiners drinking whiskey out of this shitty old jug. He's got a literally a jug of that, of this Tabasco of stuff. Of Chipotle Tabasco. It's <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly excited about that. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that's our uh, breakfast morning. Jim's yep, gonna, gonna have scrambled eggs. Yeah. Getting coffee going. I'm washing up my pots tonight. Uh, Dave, we're actually going wild. We're gonna just go crazy. We're, crazy. We're just gonna go fucking stupid tonight. Uh, Dave is making. Uh, a Thai beef dish, like beef salad. It's, it's called uh, Yam Noor. Now, where would he have ever had that? Oh, I don't know. But but <laughs> but the point is, how does he know how to make that? Like I mean, he's like that. Yeah, it's, he probably it's has like a, amazing. He probably has a uh, a Thai cookbook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I know he's he's a big. He loves Vietnamese food and he loves uh, Korean food. And that he's he's like the last person that i would have ever thought would be like that but he he likes it as much as i do Mm -hmm. yeah and so he's going to make that and some sticky rice and then i'm going to make uh a chicken and potato curry to go with it so i hope people like uh weird food tonight because that's what they're getting or not so or they just don't won't get it so jim Hmm. if jesus really lives inside of us of each of us I hope he really likes curry because that's what he's getting. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll clean up your mess. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> he's being a taskmaster this year because everybody was Would, a butthole last year. Where are you going to cook bacon? He's he's giving Jim a death look. <laughs> Weren't you going to cook bacon this morning? No, I never said anything about cooking bacon. I have bacon. Oh, I thought you were going to cook bacon. I'll, I'll cook it. Do you have a stove for me? Well, that's what I was. That's what I was wondering. I was like. Fuck. No, I'll cook it. It's fine. He's still recording. Yeah. Well, actually, it's about to get real here, so I'm I'm, I'm going to shut the recording off and uh, make some bacon here. So Probably we'll we'll idea. check in with you later in the day. So it's still sort of PG-17 rated. <laughs> them for four hours before you put them into the pan. <laughs> That's the whole key. You got to turn the pan on its side a little bit, and you got to whip the eggs for, for four hours. Okay. <laughs> no, really, it's 400 strokes. Yeah. That's the whole key to the perfect fluffy eggs. You got to count it. You got to count them. 400, yeah. 400 beats yeah. per, per egg. 400 beats per egg. So let's see if our uh, listeners can identify this sound here. Are you counting them? Yes. Yeah, so 
you have to you have to beat these eggs so well that Jim has to have like a sous egg beater. Yeah. You've heard of a sous chef. Well, we he has to have a special egg beater to beat these eggs. He beats them like they own money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. Yeah, that's and that's the trick. That's all there is to it. And you can have a. And the other the other trick is to have I'm, one I'm, of these freaking pans. Oh yeah. This is like the greatest. It's a kettle. It's a Cathlon pan that I I picked up. And it's part of my camping attire. <laughs> Kathy always teases me because I bring it. But it's uh, it's a it's a pretty fairly lightweight pan actually. Uh-huh. And um, I've cooked I've cooked eggs all over the place in these. Well, in this I thing. know I know one other thing that you're doing that nobody else does, but I'm not saying. Oh, what's it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm kneeling in front of the two. You have to kind of pray. Yeah, he's got a little prayer mat. Down. I got a little prayer mat, prayer rug down. And yeah. <laughs> So we're back, and we're in the store, the Woods Monkey store at PWIP, and he's got all this crazy stuff in here. He's, I'm looking at this uh, Camp Chef combo oven stove thing that I'm not going to look at anymore because I'll buy one. I saw it at a shot show. Nice. And I had to have one. I had to possess it. Yeah. And so they're really not that expensive either. Very nice. Tell who, us makes a, who makes that? Camp Chef. Tell us about Woods Monkey. It's basically an online gear review magazine. Uh-huh. Um, we will review pretty much almost anything outdoor related. Uh-huh. Uh, we've done we've done weapons, guns, rifles. We're very knife heavy. Yeah. You know, just because of the industry we come from. Yeah. Uh, we've done tents, backpacks, hand locks, all kind of fun stuff like mm-hmm. that. And and then you sell the stuff that's good. Actually, actually, this stuff here is is from my company JRE Industries. Okay. Is what this is from. Okay. And. Um, so I'm buying this steak light thing. Yeah. These are awesome. Do you have these on your website? No. You have, you I, even... just, I just picked these up like, I don't know, a week ago. They just came out not too long. This is like a 2015 from... from uh, this is going to go with my uh, This is going to go with my lightweight tent. There are little light bulbs inside the stakes of your tent, so you can turn them on at night so you can find your way home after drinking way too much. Yeah, right, which we're not going to do. <laughs> and wherever How do you turn are, them on? I will throw in a set of batteries for you. Oh, you're freaking awesome. Yeah. These are these are like the greatest things. They're uh, UCO. We'll see how how well they work. UCO stake light. And so basically, what Jim's got in his hand is uh, the typical uh, triangular uh, tent stakes. That yeah, they're fairly light. Feel them. I mean, you could. Yeah. These. So these must be some either aluminum or titanium or something like that. And then it super on the side secret of it, squirrel steel. Yes. On the side of it, it's got a uh, a light clip to it. And uh, you can turn them on and off. It takes a little AA battery. And, or AAA, you said. How do you, how do you turn AAA. them on? Yep. Did you, did you steal my batteries? No. How do you turn them on? You click them. Why don't you put the battery in so I can find the batteries? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? I thought I saw it. I thought I had them in there. I thought I saw a pack of uh, something that said A's. Here it is. Here it is. I got them. All right. So now we're going to put these together. I'm assuming that this slides off of here. 
Yeah, actually, you don't even have to. This just... Oh, the, the, the little cover... The hard plastic off. comes off from the other plastic. Yeah. You put on your eyeglasses so you can see where it's going. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, I took mine apart. Little one lumen uh, light there. That's pretty sweet. And one click on them is a solid bright. Yeah. Second click is a flash. Cool. And that's off. And this will actually, there's a little bit of a glowy compound in there. Oh. So it'll glow. So it'll glow. It, it's very light, but it does glow a little bit. So how long cool. will the, how long do you suppose that these will last? They say on full bright, it's, uh, I think it was like 12 hours, but it'll last 24 hours, it, 24 hours continuous. Sweet. So put the blinking on so I can find my way home. Yep. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Isn't it? Yes, it is. It's freaking awesome. Uh, yeah. I think, it's, uh, I think it's a 2015 thing for UCO. Nice. We're well anyway. We're uh, making we're our transacting. Way we're here. transacting deals here. Yeah. We had to stop buying. Uh, you had to make some money. Right. Get some stuff. Gotta get home it, somehow. Make it worth people's while to come. <laughs> you know. And uh, that makes me happy. Sweet. All right. Well, that's it for this session. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. He does, oh, absolutely. He does leather uh, sheets, too. Oh, you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, Jerry hey. Industries does leather. Very, very, very yes. nice I gotta, sheets. I got to get a uh, card from you because I okay. have way too much need for sheets and way, way too few people a, who are get a, capable. Get a, uh, show, show them one of your sheets. This is, this is one. This nice. This is one? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, all those are nice. So, if you guys are interested... Uh, in, in his uh, sheaths and things like this, it's www.jreindustries.com, <laughs> and they're in Schaumburg, Illinois, which I know pretty well. Okay. I was born in Chicago all right, all right. and lived there for years. So yeah. who's got the best pizza? Who's got the best? In Lou Malnati's. Oh, <laughs> no! No! What? No! Okay, we're going to stop. <laughs> i, I got to turn <laughs> this off. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not I'm having this again. <laughs> I am not having this discussion. I am not going to talk about say? this. Who do you say? I'm not. I'm not. Come on, no, I'm not going okay. to. I'm not going to render I'll an opinion. Form. This is what it is. No. No. Right. Yes. No. Fine. I'm not going to. We're not you having it up. this discussion. Let's go. Let's this go. Is, you it up. Funny. Come on. No. I am not having this Lou discussion. Lou Belmaldi's is a suburban pizza. Yes. It's not a city pizza. That's okay. that's my okay. I love Lou Malnati's. I, 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 there's nothing pizza. wrong with it, but I I'm talking like <laughs> city limits. Who knows? Who are you talking? Who knows? No. My favorite oh. is Gino's. But I Gino's East? Yeah. Really? In okay. the original location. But right. but no, but I like them all. I, as there's good. nothing wrong with them. I'm not gonna say best. I'm gonna say as good. Yeah, they're to me they're all good. And see yeah. these outsiders like Jim from I, fucking I don't Michigan. Care. They they try to put like best on it on on it. Well, everybody listen. Yeah. Yeah. I go down there and we have pizza weekends where we do mm-hmm. nothing but eat pizzas in all the different pizza places. We go down there and we have hot dog weekends. We do nothing but eat hot dogs and all the hot yeah. dog and places. Italian beefs oh, and yeah. stuff. Well, you know, I, I introduced Tim to Dago beef sandwiches. Nice, yeah. yeah. You know, like, those are. I mean, it's it's just what we do. I mean, it's. I don't I don't think it's any any. And a lot of times it depends on the experience, in the place that you're eating at. Yeah, if you yeah. get a shitty waitress, all of a sudden the pizza tastes oh, yeah. like shit too. Absolutely, absolutely. No, but I, I like all of the places. But he, I, <laughs> there's backstory that you're not getting. Okay. And he just tried to pick a fight, and I'm not <laughs> going there. Like I'm just not. Like I did. Jim, try Jim to is trying to pick a fight. Boy, never. He I've uses never heard that he before. uses words like best. Uh-huh. That's like saying what's the best knife. They're all good. The one you have. Yeah, they're all good. Yeah. And the, and same thing with pizza. Like I'm. 
people are so passionate about it. You cannot use that word best. Except for the raw pizza from Steubenville. Yes. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I thought there was like Philadelphia pizza too, isn't so, it? No. Uh, it's like focaccia. I mean, standing well, standing no, actually, to my right no, here is uh, Tim Stetzer. Hi. Yeah, and he uh, he's uh, you've heard his name quite a bit on the uh, podcast. This is your first appearance, first live sort of recorded appearance. Yes. Yeah, the Bruno Brothers. Do you ever go there? No, I've never heard of it. What? It's like a, it's like an Italian. Uh, it's in Philadelphia. I don't live in Philadelphia. He's on Who's the left coast. I haven't been to Philadelphia since my seventh grade field trip. Oh, okay. He's on the left coast of PA, not the right coast. I thought you were. I thought you were close to that. No, it's the other side of the state. Yeah, okay, Western so Pennsylvania is beautiful. He's got some woods there, big woods. It does. We have, we That's do. where they did the deer hunter. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, that is where they did deer hunter. Mm-hmm. And they said it was Michigan, though. Did they? Yeah, they did. I never he even noticed that. Supposedly from Michigan. Another one. Another movie. Yeah, we right. were talking about this earlier. They film a ton in Pittsburgh. They're yeah. filming constantly. But very rarely are the movies actually set in Pittsburgh. Huh. They're always supposed well, it's to be like, somewhere it's else. Like the, it's like the um, uh, Last of the Mohicans was mm-hmm. filmed here. Yeah. And it's supposed to be, that's like upstate New York or Michigan area. That's supposed to be where that where that all happened. Now, the crazy thing is, is on the site where they filmed it, they have a big casino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, actually, they have a, uh, they, they have a, a thing that, that this is where they filmed it. And you can, like, for a dollar, you can, like, jump off the waterfall and all that. Mm-hmm. No guarantees whether you're going to make it back, but, yeah. Yeah, that's all. Uh, I, I didn't know that, you know, that, that right. I didn't know yeah. that Deer Hunter was Michigan, was supposed to be Michigan. It is. We'll have to rewatch have to watch it. that. Yeah. Because yeah. it was uh, supposed to be a mill town, though, right? Ah, yeah, I thought it was a coal town. See, I haven't I, seen it, it seems years. like or maybe it was a mill town. I, you know, it was something like that. It was and an I could industrial be totally type. wrong, but I think I remember it being he was from Michigan. Well, it could have been. And they were deer hunting in Michigan. It could have been. That kind of actually sound kind of rings a bell. It could I, have. I, I might be completely wrong been. about I it. it filmed Western PA, but I'm not sure now where it was set. <laughs> That's funny. Ago. Do you ever go to? Do you ever? And we we were in Cleveland. Speaking of sto- funny stories about movies. You saw, you've seen You're not going to talk about that kind of a movie. The Christmas Story, <laughs> Cleveland Steamer. Like, no, okay. Christmas Story yes. was done in was done in, <laughs> in Cleveland, but they were trying to no, do it in Illinois. Oh, <laughs> or no, no, I'm sorry, they were trying to do it in Gary, Indiana, because that's where that writer's from was Gary, Indiana, and they went to Gary, Indiana, where he grew up, and it, it was all leveled and re, you know, it was all brand new again, and so you couldn't obviously film a show that was. Based in the 40s and 50s, early 50s, late 40s, in in that area, so they were driving around and looking all over. They could not find this little. Area. But then they were also looking for an old style department store that would let them film for three months, for whatever it was. But you had to, they had to set it up for Christmas and film it for three months. Well, they found this one store in Cleveland, and while they were in Cleveland, they happened to down this old street and they found this house. And they tried to buy this house, and it was from a steel worker who was working there, and he was working afternoons. He was always in the corner bar. And they were like, we want to film and use your house to, you know, we'll do, make some improvements. And, and, uh, and he's like, no, no, no. And he said, uh, he said, we have to have it for three months. He said, we seriously, we want it for, to do this, to do this filming. He's like, no, no, no. He said, we'll pay you $20,000. And he said, "You can have it tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my underwear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's and so they ended up buying the house. Uh, some guy bought it in an online auction afterwards, 
and it was like a crack house and they turned it into I mean they just it was in a real bad area and they, this guy said, oh, now I'm totally screwed. He had $150,000 into it thinking it was like the Christmas story house. It was going to be so cool. Yeah. He went there and it was like they had a motorcycle shop in the living room <laughs> and just had it all screwed up. <laughs> and then they, so he, but they ended up putting a bunch of money into it. And, um, now you can go there and, uh, and see it. And it's exactly the way it was when they filmed the show. It's freaking awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We go up in the fall in October. They do the, um, Ohio Gun Collectors Association has yeah. a show there, and um, it, it's a it's a neat show because it's either members only or you can go by invitation. Mm-hmm. You can only go twice in your lifetime, like as a guest, and then you have to join. And they actually keep records; they <laughs> log you in when you come in. But neat show, a lot of crazy stuff you don't necessarily see like otherwise, and like regional. You know, if you go to regional gun shows, you'll see stuff that you know is unique to that area. Mm-hmm. Like, one weird thing there is um, naval pistols. Mm-hmm. I guess because of the proximity of the lakes. Mm-hmm. A lot of old, you know, 1800s, late 1700s well, yeah, ones. That was a, there was a big naval station there during the... Mm-hmm. So, a lot of neat stuff. But I think when we go was up, based out of, out of Cleveland. We'll go up to the show, and we always go to um, Great Lakes Brewing. Right. When we're up there. And it's funny, though, because you'll see on the way, leg lamps. Yeah, everywhere, oh, everywhere in the shops. <laughs> well, and you know what else is what's funny too is you can go there. There's like a there's like a um, uh, an old Italy section. In the, we when we went there, we went to we went to dinner down there, and it was freaking phenomenal how good it was. I mean, just little shitty looking restaurants, and they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. I know it was a lot of fun. Cleveland is actually not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there, man. How could he go bad? Mm-hmm. They were saying that. The reason they chose Cleveland to be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was because they said that if an artist could make it in Cleveland, he could make it anywhere in the world. I thought that was, was No. It's, they said it was Cleveland. They said if it, if it played well in Cleveland on a certain radio station, it would, it would fly everywhere. Hmm. And that's, they, that's how they did it. I mean, everybody had the audition in Cleveland, which just kind of sounds funny. But, yeah. but the Hall of Fame is, is neat. Yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is actually pretty cool. Yeah, there is some neat stuff there. Mm-hmm. They did that. They redid the um, this old power plant and made it an aquarium, and that's a kind of a neat place too. Really? You go inside, and it's like an, a power plant from like the eighteen late eighteen hundreds, and so it's got all this fancy brickwork inside of the, how they would have built a building in the eighteen hundreds out of brick, and they re- reclaimed the whole thing as a big aquarium. They have neat shit in there. I mean, it's a fun. Is that very far for you? from you two hours maybe so it's worth taking the kids i mean mm-hmm. they would like that my you can like they have manta rays swimming in a, in a big pool you can touch them and they come up by you and it's, it's kind of cool yeah the kids would like it mm-hmm. and I, I don't need much excuse to go because of the brewery yeah <laughs> they have there's there's three good reasons to go first off great lakes brewing i like the beer they do some great beers no leg lamps and they have leg lamps <laughs> they have um a mac and cheese a gourmet mac and cheese mm. that is just out of this world. See, that's my nice. wife's. My wife is a big gourmet mac and cheese. Me, me too. And theirs is one of like the best I've had. But mm. then the best thing, Edmund Fitzgerald Porter ice cream. Ooh. Oh, wow. Dude, the first time we were up there, the crew I was with was getting dessert. And like, like I'm a fat guy. I actually prefer food to dessert. <laughs> so I wasn't necessarily going to get anything. And they don't have a big dessert menu. The waitress says, you know, ice cream. And I'm like... Everybody else was getting something, so I'm like, well, what do you got? And she tells me, Edmund Fitzgerald Porter ice cream. And I'm like, really? 
And I was a little on the fence. Right. I'm like, beer, I love beer, but I'm like, beer, ice cream, I don't know. And she said, it's like coffee, ice cream. And I'm like, sold. I love coffee, coffee, ice ice cream. cream. Yeah. It is the absolute best coffee, like, ice cream I've ever had. Like, the richest, creamiest flavor, and they put chunks of dark chocolate chip. If you're you're anywhere in the region, it's worth going for that alone. So where did you have that at? At the brew? At pub? the actual brew okay. pub. Well, and the, the real benefit to the Edmund Fitzgerald uh, Porter ice cream is it hits your stomach and it feels like a rock in there. Your stomach just sinks. It's like, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Obira, all week. <laughs> and it kills 29 people on the way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. The Fitzgerald was from Cleveland, Cliff. Mm-hmm. Cleveland. Yeah. Yep. But well worth it. I'll have to I'll have to remember that because that that's a that's an underrated town I think you know we we went to the freaking farmers market there that's another thing the reason to go there the farmers market there was pretty damn incredible we ate there they had like all kinds of different ethnic foods and sausages and all kinds of meats and cheeses and of course vegetables too but it was incredible it's like an old I wanted to say it was old railroad station or train station, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. I think it was actually supposed to be some kind of a a, a market for for fresh veggies. Sweet. Well, time to push on. on. Yes. All right. Thanks for being on the podcast, guys. No problem. Especially yeah. that Edmund Fitzgerald story. Boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Have fun. Things, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm just around the campfire. It's, uh, Thursday night and, uh, join us, uh, you can hear frogs and, uh, basic camp sounds here for a little bit. Friday morning, and uh, Jim's got his Optimus stove that literally survived the Shackleton expedition. Uh, it's like the original stove. They found it in uh, on that island that they had to walk across. And he's got he's got a wrench out. He's it's got like yes, scratched into the label. I mean, on the yeah, yeah, there, exactly. Shackleton, it's like his actual stove. Yep. And there's like uh, whale blubber stuck to it. And, and <laughs> that's spots. what it is. That's what it is. That's what it's got some whale blubber and the congealed whale blubber has plugged it up. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, like, and Jim is uh, frantically working on this thing, trying to figure out the bad So part. I can get coffee. No, we yeah. made coffee over burning. <laughs> my other, my other Fiesto, we made coffee with a. That's what we cooked the coffee with. Yeah. Well, because it's raining. So this morning at. 530. It's a good cup of coffee too. It is a good cup of coffee. This this morning at 5:30, I woke up and it was raining, and I said, you know, I don't think I'm getting up. So I slept until eight, which is like the latest I've slept in years. 
course, he was already up with the coffee going, which was kind of the idea. But, uh, but not on that stove. <laughs> but not on this stove. <laughs> yeah. And well, he's not using a knife or a multi-tool to fix that, is he? Nope. Yeah, the comes with a tool. Oh, yeah. that is a multi-tool. There you go. <laughs> it comes with the tool. Was it plugged or? I could I couldn't get the I couldn't get the valve all the way out. Oh. Yeah. So uh, unless I can get that going, are you sure it's not? You know, in the little in the top is where the that little needle thing there isn't that where they we have it. You got to take plug. Oh, you got to take everything out. Yeah, so we need some... If anybody is listening to this podcast and you're in North Carolina, could you please bring some WD-40? Um, <laughs> Just bring the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold. A couple of boxes of Joe from Dunkin' Donuts would be good. Yeah. Yeah, so tonight um, everybody's going to... Everybody's going to be all cold. I'm going to be sleeping uh, naked on top of the sleeping bag because I'm all hot. <laughs> We're, we live in the frozen Northland. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I was very comfortable last night. Yeah, me too. Uh, I didn't even. I wasn't even in my sleeping bag. Right. Lisa slept in the MSS. Yeah, and she said this is the best bag I've ever had. She said I'm never giving you this back. So oh, the sleep yeah, system, yeah, yeah that's that I bought I for myself. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you know the the sleep systems are uh, they switched from the Woodlands Camo over to the new one, and so the new ones are like 400 bucks, and the the, the regular ones are like 100 bucks. Yeah. And so as soon as as soon as that happened, I bought five of them. Yeah. Because hey, I've got five five people in the family and I was planning this huge cross-country trip <laughs> with my three girls and my dog and like you know a, a truck a man his teepee you know the the typical like thing that's, that's so hipster all right Al right Bundy. yeah <laughs> and you know what happened I, like they they don't like camping <laughs> so, so it's not gonna so it happen was, it was for like a while vacation. it was like uh Chevy Chase yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that. Well, and so, so I never got to do that because I, I tried to test them out at our state park. And they're warming to the idea. I rent a cabin there. And uh, they're warming to the idea, but like as far as like sleeping in a tent, yeah, as long as the cabin has watch throws the kids outside. Yeah, for, an, for about 10 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, Karen's idea of roughing it is a holiday inn without an indoor swimming pool. Yep. Yeah. So that's uh, so that's what's going on this morning. Uh, a little later, we're going to have a gentleman on with a new podcast. What's the? Uh, it's the Global Adventure Society Pulpcast. Yeah, and so um, it's uh, Jeff Fournier, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Right, and he um, he's a writer. Uh, he writes uh, fiction, nonfiction, but this is a yeah. fiction project that. Uh, I'm writing stuff involving pulp characters, like the Doc Savage, the Shadow, those type of era characters. Yeah. Uh-huh. But in uh, the either I'm using stuff uh, with uh, that's already out of copyright uh-huh. to make new adventures for characters that haven't done anything in 80 years, uh-huh. or we're uh, creating new characters along the same lines. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, and so he he actually had one of his books along, and people who are longtime listeners of the podcast know I'm a 
somewhat of a geek, and I like that kind of stuff, and so I, I bought one of his books and he signed it. So when he's all famous and you guys are like clamoring for his stuff, I have a signed copy. <laughs> and you can't have it. So uh, anyway, a uh, little later on in the podcast, we're going to have him on, and I want to talk about the idea behind yours. And, and, Absolutely. Uh, we yeah. want to definitely talk to you and to Jim about any kind of uh, fictional stories or characters that you had in your youth that might have inspired you to the life that you've led. Yeah, okay. That's, that's what I think is more most interesting. You find so many guys who are... Uh, you know, articulate men of action, and it turns out that they didn't just read Rudyard Kipling and, and military manuals, they actually read the Tarzan or Lone Ranger yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 I'll save that content for your podcast okay. so that you guys have, like, an exclusive. Sure. That'd be awesome. Because <laughs> there, there are definitely characters that I looked up to, and... Uh, I, I can't wait to find that out. Right, well, long-time listeners of our podcast can probably pick them out. Um, from the some of the movies that I talk about and some of the knives that I obsess about. So, uh, but you know, there's some other ones that I don't I don't really talk about a whole lot. But anyway, uh, a little later on, we're going to have him on uh, when it's uh, a little bit calmer around here. And we'll definitely talk about knife content. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to talk about like what you're into for knives and what what did Tarzan use for a knife. Steel. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's for discussion right there. Yeah. Nope. He used steel. <laughs> he used the Sheffield Bowie knife that uh, his dad oh, had. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's really starting to come down here. Uh, I don't think the really heavy stuff's coming for a while. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's it for uh, right now, and we'll get back with you in a little bit. doing another little mini segment here. Uh, Jim and I have kind of walked around and found uh, a knife maker. So uh, tell tell everybody who you are. I'm Dan Eastland with uh, Dogwood Custom Knives. Okay. Uh, and I'm now up in Pennsylvania, but uh, recently of Georgia. Okay. And how can they how can they find your knives if they want to buy some? Uh, online at Dogwood Custom Knives. Okay. Uh, USA Made Blade carries them, and uh, Edgeworks, uh, as well as Arizona Custom Knives, carries them. Sweet. And then I've got a Facebook page as well. Okay. So uh, Jim and I are looking at his, his stuff, and it's all very user-oriented knives. There's no ninja stuff. And, of course, that's kind of what well, we... Well, no, there's this one ninja thing that he's never going to do again. Yeah, yeah he, he did. <laughs> I, you know, I am a healthy male. At some point, I had to do a ninja knife. <laughs> well, that's... This, yeah, is, that's the, what, this uh, is a ninja knife that will never be done again, which, yeah, and, is a dag- which is a dagger. Yeah, and I did exactly one of those, and I'm never doing another one. <laughs> so the the problems we were talking about that you run into is if you're you're doing four different edges and the center line has to meet and the tip has to come out perfect and all the angles have to be right, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, and all four grinds have to be symmetrical with each other. Yep. So it's it's like doing two matched knives. Yep. And uh, so neither one of us are doing those unless you pay a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Maybe if my brother was dying of cancer and all he really wanted was a dagger, I might make him one. That's cool. (laughs) So uh, we were talking about... But he had to have proof. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, there would be no... I just tell you that. I'm not taking his word on anything. Yeah. Ever since he made me eat that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a... He's got a couple different things that, that I really like. He's got a handle material called Firefly. And tell us tell us about how you, the inspiration behind it, and then... I was camping with some friends of mine, and we had really large rocks around the fire ring. Uh-huh. And I was eating, and I set my knife down, and I realized I was night blind from the fire. And the large rocks were casting moving shadows. So I wound up on my hands and knees, gently feeling the grass, trying to find my knife, hoping that I found the handle first. Uh, so when I got home from that camping trip, I said never again and started doing research into to glow-in-the-dark materials. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to find something that was efficient enough that at 10 o'clock at night it would still glow. Yeah. But durable enough that it was a working handle. Yep. And uh, I worked with uh, Composite Craft that makes the SeaTech um, uh, handles. Okay. And uh, so basically what it is is it's uh, it's got some flex some random sized flecks of glow-in-the-dark material and then a, a binder of, of different colors. Yeah, and then it's cast in a, a translucent uh, resin. Yeah. And that gives some color options. Uh, and yep. In this case, bright orange, so when you drop it in the leaf clutter, you can still find it. Yep. And it's really cool looking, and I uh, I now have a supplier for it. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> I, do. I, uh, I really like this the feature on this. The clear yeah. pins and the... I mean, I, really, I, I think that really looks good so he's, he's got a kephart knife with moon moon glow i'm assuming uh that's actually another material that i'm i'm uh, i've got a patent pending on i call it uh, glowstone okay so it's it's as durable as g10 it works like g10 but it's glow in the dark okay and so he's he's got a kephart knife here uh that has a uh it's modernized it's full tang and then it's got a uh, lanyard hole in the back that's sh- somewhat shrouded and then he's got clear pins and clear liners. Nope. It, What's that material? Uh, that is, it's similar to uh, Lexan. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's similar to a bulletproof plastic. Yep. And uh, I found that... Uh, and it buffs out real nice. It does. Uh, I mean, it buffs out clear. When, when you, can, you can actually look through it and see, you know... On some show pieces, I've taken it out 2,000, 5,000 grit, and it's like looking through a pane of glass. Yeah, but it almost looks like it magnifies just a little bit, maybe because of the shape of the handle. It looks like it. Yeah, the, the I mean, curvature can, of the handle read, makes it a lens. Yeah, you can re actually you you might be able to make that into a fire starter. Oh, yeah. that would be an interesting idea. Yeah. Oh man, you recorded it. Now I have to, now I have to give you credit. <laughs> no, but uh, can we edit that part out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we were we were talking you could about uh, that, I'll bet. yeah. I'm gonna, gonna go play, I'm gonna go play in the shop. But uh, we were talking uh, about a, that satchel over hanging uh, on the tree. We're, oh, we're yeah. also trying to come up with a way. Jim and I have had this idea to put put tritium on the inside so that you you have a handle that will glow at night. And and we've been talking about ways to do that. And, and you talked about the pens, but using this liner material, you yeah. could route out a pocket inside well, the material. And Kamenga d- did something like that. They did a. They did it on the back of the knife, and it. And they were real like, uh, you know, real. You got to do it this way because they play by the rules. I mean, there's tritium is nuclear material, yeah. and you r- literally cannot just go out and buy it at a local knife making shop. Well, not couple, in this country. Well, a couple <laughs> years ago, there were some guys who were importing it into the country, and there was a lot of it that was showing up on different things. Um, Zipper poles, those kinds of things. 
And I always thought, and I told the guys from from uh, Camiga that what they what they should do is make a module that John Q Knife Maker can buy and insert it into his handles of his knives rather than just the knives that they're making because they have not they're not knife makers. And and you know what? There's if you're not a knife maker and you you you've got this idea that's a feature for a knife. It tends to fall on its face because nobody wants to buy the knife because it's usually ugly. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. And, and so I was trying to figure out a way to get them to... See, they're always concerned about the vials getting broke open. Right. And so everything that they design has got to be a way that there's no... That I can't open it up and get into it. Yeah. And so you'd have to enclose it into something that you could inset into. Oh, and... Uh but you could put that right down the center inside the inside of the exactly. uh, and the middle of the blade. It's completely sealed and, and then it's sealed up. This material is translucent as well as this one. Right. So not only would it shine out the liner, it'd actually shine out of the handle. Right, material. exactly. And and it would glow the handle material. I was about to say, and it would activate the glow in the dark material. Yep. Yep. because yep. no, yeah, that's actually how that works. Because the tritium gas is not what glows. It's luminescent material that's around the tritium gas that glows, and the gas activates it. And the gas activates it, and keeps it active. Now, the other the other thing we were talking about, longtime listeners of the podcast will know of my trials and tribulations with the fillet knives. <laughs> uh, you know, you want something thin and flexible, and they, I made four blanks. He he made them special. To go right around the rib cage of fish. Yeah. <laughs> right. but, but there was a left-handed and a yeah. right-handed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you so, hold them together and go like this. Yeah. But, uh, but so the, I made four, and one of them was straight, and I could not, no matter what I did, I could not get the other one straight. And so uh, we, I discovered that there is a way. and uh, There is always a way. Yeah, and... and and he has opened my eyes to something which is called plate quenching, which yes. is a mir- miracle. And you can't do it with all steels, but by modifying a vise and using two aluminum plates about an inch thick, mm-hmm. um, depending on the steel, you come out of your heat treat and you can plate quench it under pressure. Uh-huh. And the two plates pressing on either side of the blade draw the heat off evenly and physically hold the blade straight until it's cooled and hardened. Yeah. And it'll... It'll keep you from warping knives. Yeah, and this is, uh, and it just so happens that I have a 12 by 12 inch thick piece of aluminum, one inch, you know, one inch thick, 12 by 12 inches, sitting in my porch right now. And the way guys used to do it is they'd put one plate down, put the blank on it, put the second plate on top of it, and put a weight on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, the pressure is uneven. Yeah. Because you know, the plate's wider than the blade. Yeah. So it's going to rock. By putting it in putting it in the jaws of a vise, uh, you're getting even pressure. Yep. And you don't have that problem. Yep. Uh, and you can do it. I started doing it with stainless steel and then found out that uh, you can do it with a lot of carbon steels, too, if you quench them and, and then finish cooling them in the plate. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, um, once more, how do they find your stuff? Uh, dogwoodcustomknives.com. Yep. Uh, or on Facebook, Dogwood Custom Knives. Uh-huh. And my dealers right now are uh, Arizona Custom Knives, uh, USA Made Blade, and Edgeworks. Sweet. All right. Well, check out that stuff. It's uh, really good stuff. I got a quick question. Okay. This is a design you are making 
uh, somebody can order from you. Correct. Okay, so that's the the Kephart redub. Yeah, the the Long Hunter is the only one that's not available okay. yet, and okay. that'll be that'll premiere at Blade Show. Okay. And uh, you had mentioned the lanyard. Uh, I do these recessed lanyard holes. Yeah. So you can have a full thickness lanyard on it, but it doesn't interfere with your grip. Yeah. So it lays down under the handle. So when you grip it. You don't have that that lanyard pressing out gets your hand. Yeah, that's what I that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. So yep. very nicely done. Yeah, very cool. Very good, nice. Good work. Finish is very nice. Yep. Thank you. I was a, I was actually a furniture maker before I started making knives, so I had the head start on the concept of of doing flat joinery, mm-hmm. uh, which has paid off a dividend now. Yep. 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 Sweet. Well, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yep. Yep. Enjoyed it. got there oh hey yeah good for you so this is uh, a little outtake here uh, later on in the podcast we're going to have an interview with uh, my friend Ethan Becker and right now uh, he's making a uh, a beef dish that uh, has uh, it's got a dry rub on it it's got uh, thyme sumac Salt and pepper and uh, lemon zest. A lot of lemon zest. Right. Like, uh, I'm looking down and I see four zested lemons. Uh, no, there should be a fifth somewhere. Somewhere. Oh, there's the fifth. Okay, so. So, and, but we've got three three-pound roasts, and we're going to do them on the spit. Mm-hmm. And as they spit, we're going to sprinkle lemon juice on them. And one of the things I learned when I was down in Argentina watching... The guys down there is what they do is they'll rub a little bit of oil sometimes, but that just mostly just salt uh-huh. and let it sit for half an hour or so before it goes on the grill. Okay. Excuse me, the paria. Yeah, okay. And um, the salt appears to help make a crust. Okay. And um, I think what happens is it seals the capillaries on the outside. Okay. As a doctor? Yeah, that would be accurate. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it seals up the outside. And then the inside steams slightly, and it makes it much more tender. Okay. And um, God knows they take uh, grass-fed beef down there and do things to it that... Um, <laughs> I'm getting very hungry just thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me it's too. good stuff, yeah. Now the other the other thing you were going to make tonight is a tzatziki sauce. Yes. So how do you how do you do that at home? That's um, yogurt. Uh-huh. Um, I use red onion, but you can use green onion. But red or, or white onion's fine. And uh, salt, uh, pepper, uh, a little bit of lemon zest. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And if I'm doing it at home, I add chopped curly parsley to it. Okay. But. Um, I forgot to chop curly parsley at the house. Okay. Guess what? Yeah. It's uh, be a 10-hour round trip to get it. So yeah, so we're not going to We're not going to have that. And then we're going to have a rice pilau, or pilaf. Uh-huh. And what I do is take a little bit of oil. I'll take a little bit of peanut oil because it's got a very high smoke point. Right. Butter. 
uh-huh. and then brown noodles in that. Oh, wow. Fine noodles. Yeah. And then you add the rice and roll it around in there mm-hmm. and toast it slightly. Is that called and parboiling? Or? No, this no, is just roasting. Toasting it? Okay. Toasting it. And then, um, uh, then I'll add the proper amount of water, uh-huh. and, um, uh, and part of that... Part of the liquid will be a consomme. Okay. To give a, a real deep flavor to it. Mm. So you take a little bit of the beef, mm-hmm. uh, preferably an outside piece. And I will stab people who get my outside piece uh-huh. uh, or try to take my outside piece. Uh-huh. And um, you uh, take a mouthful of that uh, and a piece of bread. Uh-huh. And some of the tzatziki sauce, and the pilau, uh-huh. and uh, some raw onion, mm. and your mouth has an organism. <laughs> organism, yes. yes. That's that's podcast safe. Yes, yes. yes. And then uh, Jim and I are making uh, Jim's salad. You know, Jim has a lot of uh, Middle Eastern experience, yes. for lack of yeah. a better term. Yes. And one of his favorite things, and of course one of my favorite things through my travels, is a uh, tomato, cucumber, red onion, uh, flat leaf, Italian parsley, lemon juice, uh, feta cheese, salt and pepper. And then yes. he's going to add in a little green pepper, which you can pick out. Yes. Um, or I may just shoot it out of his hand or something. There you go. And so that that's going to be our uh, camping dinner tonight. Yes. Um, it's, uh, it's hardly uh, World War II K rations. Right. Yes. <laughs> and th- this is uh, to make the point that even though you're camping, a lot of these, uh, I was explaining to somebody, they're like, how are you guys cooking all this crazy stuff? And I said, well, think about Greek food or Thai food or any of these other foods. They're cooked outdoors. Yes. A lot of yeah. times over fires. And yeah. it's really simple food to prepare when you're camping. You just have to know about it. Right. And, you know, there is no restaurant I know of in Argentina that does not have a wood grill. Yeah. You know, if you see a restaurant in, in Argentina, it has paria on it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And um, and and all we're doing is doing, we're, we've got a spit, uh, and every 10 or 15 minutes you move it a few degrees, and at the end of it um, you have something just too wonderful nice okay so i'm kind of cruising camp right now and uh last night somebody brought over this piece of steak that was like so delicious and uh he has agreed graciously to be on the podcast and uh tell everybody who you are how you want to be known hey i'm taylor hayes everybody calls me tater right and uh, the steak he makes is absolutely fantastic. So tell us about this sauce. This is a local sauce uh, made by a uh, family, Keaton's Famous Barbecue Sauce. Uh, he's been doing it since 1953. Uh-huh. The uh, old man died back in uh, 89, and his family continues the tradition of making it. Uh-huh. It's actually a, a chicken sauce, but I use it on everything. Yeah. Um, the way they do it is they pan fry their chicken and then dip it in the sauce and it penetrates straight to the bone nice this tells you anything about it colonel sanders offered old man keaton two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the recipe in 1970 in the 1970s and the old man turned it down wow so uh 
pretty good stuff. Yep. Pretty good stuff. And uh, if you're looking for this sauce, it's uh, it's spelled K-E-A-T-O-N apostrophe S. And there's a, a guy on the cover with a red apron and says the original sauce since uh, or the original since 1953. I'm holding a 10 fluid ounce bottle in my hand. You're only going to find it on the internet or in their restaurant. Yep. And it's manufactured by Keaton's Barbecue Incorporated, P.O. Box 1721, Statesville, North Carolina, 28687. So, uh, thanks for introducing me to this great food. You're certainly welcome. All right. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, not a problem. Yep. So, uh, I'm continuing my food tour here tonight, and I... I think I have something, some breaking news to share with the world. So I'm, I have just had a homemade, mind you, sriracha and uh, mozzarella and uh, mozzarella cheese mm-hmm. on a Ritz cracker. Now, tell tell the listeners at home who you are. You've been on already. Yep, I've been here a second time again. So right. And how you did it. Okay. Uh, this is Spen, JRE Industries, Woods Monkey. Right. All the sheath making and fun mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, what I did is I started out as a base with the shredded mozzarella mm-hmm. in a food processor. Mm-hmm. And then added um, regular whole milk, mm-hmm. milk powder, yep. cream of tartar, salt is the base. And then I added sriracha after that to taste. And then how did you get it to firm up like that? It's uh, it, it comes out fairly stiff already. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the heat and everything else, it will it will and the milk mm-hmm. it, it does loosen up. But then as it sits in the fridge, the milk powder and the cream of tartar will Thicken congeal up. it back again. Yeah. Nice. So you don't cook it then? You no. Just, yeah. No, so it's, it's just strictly a, raw in yeah. the in the food processor. Yep. And you're already starting with a mozzarella base, so yeah, yeah, shredded. Yeah. You, I understand you've done that homemade with the whole milk and the rennet and all that. Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I and, that tur- and that's phenomenal. It turns but that's out much good. Yep. I mean, honestly, that's good enough that I probably wouldn't mess with trying to make my own mozzarella with the rennet and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That is fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't tried making the mozzarella and then making this because mm-hmm. it works so well with just the shredded mozzarella as a start. Yeah, I'm totally gonna do that as soon as I get home. It's real easy. Yeah. Like, how much uh, cream of tartar and milk powder? Just guesstimate. Um, it's it's like, I think it's like 20 ounces of mozzarella. Mm-hmm. It's a um, cup of milk, maybe, half cup, half, half cup of milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a teaspoon or half a teaspoon of um, cream of tartar. Okay. And then milk powder, I think it's like a tablespoon, something okay. around like those ratios. Now, you know uh, a pizza margarita? Yes. That? Yes. Ooh, I didn't think about that with the basil. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I like that. I oh, like, yeah. I'm gonna have to try that. I'm gonna. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna put up a uh, YouTube video of that someday. Okay. <laughs> That's really. Cr- I didn't think about you that. For sure. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's great. We actually did yesterday. I had um, just some basic sloppy Joe mixer mm-hmm. with some meat. Yeah. Putting this on the sloppy Joes. Nice. Was awesome, and then we started with the crackers too. Yeah, well, that uh, news of that has actually spread through camp. Has it? Yes, it has. Okay. And it was uh, very, very highly rated. <laughs> and uh, you're opening up new vistas. Yes. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks you're for being welcome. on again. Absolutely. Yeah.
And then later on, I got the I got the small one because I'm like, yeah, you know, he's right. It need, you need to have a small one for for when you're packing. So we're talking about the Kelly kettles. Now the sm- I have I have the small one and the Scout one like that, and uh, the small one it suffers from small firebox syndrome. Yeah. You yeah, know. but it, it'll boil the water thing. Yeah, so it, if you're it kind if of you're does. like doing uh, like we we do um it's a one person you know, yeah it's a one person deal when you do um uh like they're perfect for doing things like winter kayaking or winter canoeing or winter rafting down the river when it's really cold and you don't and you your meal is going to be a dehydrated something or other whatever the hell it is and you can boil enough water to make like four meals in that thing in the big scout model yeah there's actually a large camp model of that i've never seen it but mm-hmm. the uh, i know the scout that that of the of the two when i'm talking about small firebox thing what i'm saying is it's hard you have to pay attention to the small one a lot more than oh, yeah, you yeah. Do that one yep. but uh that's you know, like those ember-lit stoves and those things like that, the problem you run into is not enough uh, capacity for fuel, and so it never really gets to the point where it's a sustainable fire. Right. That one does. Yeah. Well, that but one's, you can actually does. buy a cooker to go over the top of it. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah. It actually works, too. Mm-hmm. On the small one, the cooker system doesn't work. Yeah. There's not enough juice. <clears throat> they make one a style like that for stews. Rick's uh, buddy, he got out of the army and moved back to Idaho and mailed him a contraption like that. Rick and Lorena opened it up, <coughs> and it comes with all the seasonings, and you just add water and the meat. And I said, I know exactly what that is, <laughs> and I'll take a picture and uh, send it to you. Yeah, yeah, those things are—they're great. They're great. There's actually an, another version of that now too. Is it Australian? Or yeah, there's there's a couple different companies companies that have them made them. Out. There's one that's made out of with that's got rivets on the outside. It's not it's not aluminum yeah, spun aluminum like this. I've seen those advertised. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the highest use of this though is boiling water. I mean, it's yeah, not yeah. ideal for cooking over. Right. But the the fire that you make to get a fire going in there is enough to boil the water that that, yep. that will hold, whether it's the smaller one or the larger yep, yep. one. And, and about the time the fire dies down, the water's hot. Yep. So and then you got a fire to start a regular fire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a cold morning like this, you get some hot liquid into you, and that warms you up a lot. Yeah. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, our local guide, I turned him on to, to using these. He, he used to heat up water. He'd take people down the river. And then part of his deal was he would provide a meal, you know, midway down. It would be like a three-hour uh, raft trip. Three-hour Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in about an hour and a half, he would he would pull off. And uh, everybody would get out, you know, and put on snowshoes, and they'd wander around. And he set up a, a fuel stove and uh, started boiling water with it. And in fact, it was kind of funny because I just got asked if I wanted a guide for him last, like, two or three weeks ago. Um, but I showed him that I showed him one of these, and he ended up buying one. He he really likes it. Yeah, very popular with uh, fishing guides for like shore lunch. Mm-hmm. 
Because you, you get off the boat and you have some hot tea and then you've got the coals to start your regular yeah. cooking fire for fishes and whatnot. Are we timing this year or just full? Time is a just, yeah, timer is just for uh, if there's a tie. <coughs> yeah, score and then time. Yeah. He's uh, going for the fast right, time. For fast time. <laughs> yeah, he's going for fast time, that's for sure. I think he's got the fastest time shooting. Tell me again what we do. So it's after the zombie shoot, and uh, they're still totaling the scores to see how everybody did. Uh, and I have somebody that's been in our camp uh, quite a bit this week. Uh, tell us who you are. Dave McIntyre, also Colhane on YouTube and Picked on the forums. Right, and it's uh, C-O-L-H-A-N-E is how you find him. And uh, he's got tons and tons and tons of subscribers, and the reason we're talking to him is... Uh, you've spent lots and lots and lots of time in Brazil. Yeah, and 15 years. And you've done uh, survival instruction down there for yep. quite a bit. And uh, you've got some rather interesting stories, but one particular thing that's really neat, actually two things that I'm looking at right now. The first is your machete. Yeah. Now, tell us all about it. Uh, I first got down to Brazil. I was there from 90 to 92, and then I went back full-time in 1999. Uh-huh. And when I... When I got out to the bush there, I realized, okay, I cannot function without a machete. Uh -huh. you, I have to carry a machete no matter what I do. So I just kind of set myself to the idea of uh, I'm going to learn everything I can about the machete because I'm always going to have one down there and it really is essential. Uh, so I started using uh, my machete exclusively almost for everything I had to do. I just used the machete. Uh -huh. And rather than carrying a whole pile of knives, I figured I'm just going to carry the machete and just learn its capabilities just using it. And I uh, then when that machete got wore out, I, I got a new one, and it didn't work like my old machete. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting there, I, I, I could not figure out why this new machete doesn't function like my old one. So I set the two of them down, and the machete I'd been using for years, I had I, I had changed the prof edge profile at the base of the blade, in the front of the blade, in the back of the blade, and the spine. I, I had done these modifications without really thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I just kind of optimized it along the way. So I took my new machete and I just made it look like my old one. I just took a file to it and, and just made it look just like my old one, uh -huh. and uh, it worked. So now every time I get a new machete, I set it up uh, with the modifications. I've talked about them on the various forums and things, and people kind of know uh, that's what I do with blades. But uh, it, it's for me, it's just the most practical solution because I'm always going to have a machete on me uh -huh. to optimize every inch of it for the way I work with it and the things I want to do with it. Right. So let's 
you start with a, a raw blade, and what, what length and what brand typically do you uh, go with? Well, in Brazil, if Tramontina doesn't make it, we don't need to buy it. I mean, pretty much that's the only blade you're going to get down there commonly. So I use uh, Tramontina blades. Um, my normal blade for a long time down there was a 16-inch Latin pattern, uh-huh. and it's just a good length, but it was a little bit too long, and I wear my machete on my right side. Okay. And when you lift your leg up, it'll bang into it. You okay. know, so I took one of their uh, wire-wrapped handle machetes. It's a little heavier blade, and I cut it off to a, like a like a Golok or Parang-style uh, front end. Um, the modifications I do on it is that the base of the blade, you never get any impacts at the base of the blade. So yep. if you sharpen that part of the blade, it will stay sharp uh-huh. because you're not using it to chop through jungle. So I'll take that and lower it down to a, a Scandi. Actually, if you, if you look at it in the light here, you can see it's a very low-profile convex. Yeah. Okay, it's not an actual Scandi, but it, it functions just like one. It gives me the ability to do d- detail cutting close to the handle. Uh-huh. And then that's about... Well, what is about that? a hand width. Yeah, about a hand width, three, three and a half inches maybe. And then forward of that, I go with a, a convex. And yep. that convex resists damage with chopping. It doesn't stick. It's just a very robust... Uh, uh-huh. You can sharpen it with a mouse pad very easily. Uh-huh. Um, then on the back of the blade... Uh, a, up to about the length of that of the scandi or the fine cutting edge, I'll leave the spine uh, at a 90 degree angle. Mm-hmm. Now, when a machete comes from uh, Tramoncina, they don't do anything with the spine. They don't finish it at all. Uh-huh. And I'll put that in a vise and I'll, I'll flatten the entire top of the, the spine and leave it at 90 degrees up to about maybe five inches. First four or five inches of the, the spine is 90 degrees. And then I round it from there on up. Okay. So the rounded portion I can grab with my hand. It's not going to damage my hand. So I can use it as a draw knife. I can hold on to the, the back of the blade there. And then the 90-degree the portion, if you run it up and down hardwood, you get uh, fine shavings, uh-huh. which will light with a spark. And in jungle, there's nothing you're going to find in a jungle which is light and fluffy enough to light uh, with a spark or even with an ember a lot of times. So you have uh-huh. to create that material out of your surroundings. So I can baton this through a, a piece of hardwood and then fluff that up with the back of the blade and make myself a big handful or bird's nest. And uh-huh. then I use that for uh, for fire lighting. So, yeah, the, uh, the length of this, I, I cut it at 14 inches because a 14 inch blade on my on my right side I can lift my leg up all day long and I won't hit I'm not hitting it in the bottom of my machete mm-hmm. sheath yep. all day long now there's a uh, there's another uh, machete in camp it's a it's a uh, parang and it's it's heavier and it has a little bit shorter blade and we were talking earlier about uh, you encounter a lot more grass than it depends on where you are in Brazil. Where, where we had the school up in Minas Gerais, which is in, in the Central Highlands, and uh-huh. that's a transition zone between the Atlantic rainforest and the desert scrub country. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of sunlight. Even in the forest there, there's a lot of sunlight, and you get a lot of grasses. Yeah. So there are days where you'll, you'll get on a trail, and it's you know head-high grass all the way down it. And a heavy blade in grass is horrible. You, yeah. just, you do not want a heavy blade because as you throw it through the grass, you have to stop it then with muscle power to yep. keep it from that you have to stop that momentum yeah you want a lighter machete which will stop on its own in grass yeah that is just a much more efficient way to, to work yep and uh you meant you also mentioned that with with a shorter blade like on a particular knife that's in camp um you have to bend over more and get more strain if you're trying to sure i mean if i'm knee high grass if i'm going to be clearing an area all the way to the ground 
Uh, for trails, you, when you're when you're clearing a trail in jungle, you want to clear from your knees knees to shoulders, pretty much. You mm-hmm. know, or, or like head height to knee height. Yeah. You're not going down to the ground. Yeah. So with a six with a 14 or a 16, if I'm standing here, my hand naturally is going to come to about mid thigh, mm-hmm. and the point of that blade is going down to about mid shin. Yeah. So without bending over at all, I can clear to below my knees out to knee height out in front of me with a 14-inch machete. Yeah. Okay. If I'm going to clear to the ground, I have to bend over. I'm, you know, bending over at the waist to clear all the way to the ground. So the longer machete, you can just incline your body just a little bit and you can clear all the way to the ground. Yeah. Okay. Then you can also clear way up over your head. You have a much, much larger radius of cut with a longer machete. Yep. And that saves your back. So the small parangs and golocks. They're excellent in wood. You're, uh-huh. you're cutting saplings and that sort of thing. They're, they'll take care of that all day long. But then you're using that same blade also as a mode of transportation. Yeah. Okay. And then you start walking through grass or jungle, and you're having to bend down to cut down to your knees or stop the blade in, in grass and vines. Uh-huh. And it really gets irritating. So the, the optimum, like they said, you know, every blade is a trade-off of yep. characteristics. I want a blade which will hit hard enough in wood, you also be light enough to use in grass. Yeah. Yep. And uh, in my opinion, most most high end blades are overbuilt. Yeah. Well, I I had uh, when I'm trying to think uh, which one to tell you about. Okay, so there was there's a a fairly major manufacturer in the United States that makes uh, some machetes, but they make them. Uh, after a, a typical, so you'll have like a 20 or 22 inch blade, but it's a quarter inch thick, and then they didn't do much with the edge, so it's kind of a a blunt, heavy yeah, blunt force trauma kind of yeah, and that and then on top of it they made the handle uh, really kind of uncomfortable and. I notice on yours you've you've done quite a bit of shaping to it. Actually, this is a stock. Uh, this is Tramontina's bird's head pattern handle, uh-huh. and uh, normally this the center section will be wrapped with wire, which is a horrible idea. It r- rips your hand to shreds. Yeah. Okay. It gives you that good grip. It feels good until you start using it with a wet hand, and then uh-huh. you turn your hand into hamburger. So I take that off and I deepen the, that internal cut. The inletted portion where the wire is, I'll, I'll actually deepen that all the way down to the rivets. I don't take uh-huh. the rivets off. And then I put a micarta wrap in there and yeah. then shape that down. And that reinforces the handle and also gives it a smooth grip Yep, you can work with all day. Um, the, th- the thing is with machetes is when you live in, a, in an environment where you're using a machete all day long, you are literally using the machete all day long. You have to have that thing in your hand all day. And a heavy blade just wears you out because yeah. half the time if you're not swinging it, you're carrying it. Yeah. And it's in that one right hand all day. Yep. Uh, the heavy... And machete, a heavy machete is good if you're going to, if you're going to be chopping green wood most of the time. But if you're using it as a mode of transportation, yeah, I'd get from point A to know, point B. I say I've said in some of my videos, if you take a, a kilometer of trail uh-huh. and you clear it a meter wide, you have cleared a thousand square meters of brush. Oof. Okay, that is that is a, a you know a, a residential lot sized area which you're clearing to the knees. That's a day's work just to move a kilometer of yeah. clearing brush. Okay, just to move a kilometer down the trail. And you cannot do that with a heavy blade. Yeah. You just don't have yep. the, the physical... You know, some men can. Yeah, I'm not one of them. Yep. You know? Yep. Well, you know, so uh, another time I went to uh, Jungle, they just said just buy a you know, $5 machete in country. And yeah. I think the brand that... Oh, I think it was Costco brand. Okay. 
right? So like it's just some random brand, um, but it's the typical machete. It's it's uh, basically exactly the same thing as a Tramontina. It was a 20 inch, and uh, we had to do the trail clearing and all these sorts of things. But then at the end of the day, after you've done all that, now you have to go and build a swamp bed. Right. And that was such a miserable experience with that lighter blade that I went home. The first knife I ever made, I took uh, about a, oh, I guess it would be about a 22-inch lawnmower blade. And I put a long, I made it as a, I forged it into a parang shape, so a mm-hmm. curve with the blade. Uh and then much like the shape of your blade with, with the front. The forward-facing point. Right. And it, it was a little bit heavier than a machete, but then I put a full-height convex grind on it. Right. And I had a 7-inch full-tang handle on it so okay. that you can you can choke up and do stuff, or you can go way back and swing for the fences. And the total length on the blade was like, I want to say it's like 16 or 18 inches maybe. Right. And... Uh, that thing is still the best machete that I've ever used. Yeah, but it's for that particular task. Well, it actually it's a compromise because it's okay. it's it's a little bit thicker than the standard machete, but it's not like quarter inch thick. Right. You know. So and plus I take a lot of metal out of it when I do the the grinding. So I at the end of the day, if I have to stand there and if I can't take down the tree that I need to with four swings maximum. Like it's going to be miserable. And then the the other thing is is those handles on the cheap um, machetes, they're they're plastic. Oh yeah, I won't buy a plastic handle. Yeah, and machete. yeah, and so you know it was just a learning experience. And then so when I when I did my handle, I did it out of red oak, mm-hmm. and it 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 worked perfectly. Yeah. You know, and uh, I made it nice and smooth. When and you everything. when you look at machetes, uh-huh. okay, you look at the the catalogs, you know, of the world, the world's. Uh, the world's inventory of machetes and you see these you know incredibly odd blades and the the strength the odder a blade is with a machete the more specialized it is yeah and often oftentimes uh, that blade shape is is designed it's optimized to do one specific thing you know whether it's cutting bananas cutting sugar cane yeah uh, cutting certain types of grasses they'll be optimized for that thing so the, the idea of going into one area and buying a machete buying what the locals use to me is a very valid idea because most, like Tramontina in Brazil, has this huge inventory of machetes. But you go to any particular place in Brazil, you're not going to find all of them for sale. Yeah. You're going to find the, 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 the one that is optimized for that region that the people want to buy the most in that area. And yeah. there's a reason for that, because that machete works there. Yeah. You know, when you start with a Latin, Latin pattern, pattern machete, that's pretty much your standard general-use blade. Uh-huh. And then they'll get, uh, as it morphs into other shapes, you're getting away from that general-use thing to a more specific agricultural use oftentimes. Yeah. And if you're not cutting exact, exactly that, you don't have a blade which is going to do a wide variety of functions. Yeah. Um, I yeah the the heavy or light machete from my experience the heavier machetes tend to work better in wood yeah and the lighter machetes tend to work better in lighter material yeah and in the length I uh, if you're not clearing trail or clearing ground and it, especially if you have a machete on your body all day long yeah you want it as short as possible the, the shortest machete you can get away with yeah for general purpose what I'll what I'll tell people with the Latin pattern machetes is you close your fist and you lay the lay the blade on your forearm. Okay, at the at the junction of the handle, so that blade should be about as long as your forearm. Uh-huh. And most 
with all my students, I have a you know wide variety from 20 to 12 inch machetes, uh-huh. and, and I'll say, okay, pick a machete. This is the one you're going to use, and I tell them that's that's generally where you want it ergonomically is about as long as your forearm. Yeah. If it's much longer, uh, you're not going to be able to carry it on your belt. And it just seems to be that's where people gravitate to. I've had a lot of st- shorter students will carry a 14. Uh-huh. And then the, the middle length will carry the... I've had other guys that are really tall, and they'll pick up a, you know, a 16 or an 18, and that's the one that feels right to them. Yeah. But if you look at their forearm length, that's usually the length of the blade they're going to yep. do best with. That's a good starting point for yeah. picking a machete. Yep. And actually, when I... Eventually, I made a whole bunch of those lawnmower blade parangs, and I traded them for stuff, and, like, the people that have them just love them. Yeah. But um, that's generally the length that I end up with is about that. Uh, and then I made some out of 01 tool steel that are just gorgeous. I mean, right. it, is, it has the... And, again, these are such personal items. I mean, you've personalized your machete sure. for what you do. But for what I do... Um, is perfect, uh-huh. you know. And then I, I gave the prototype to a guy named Tradewater. He was supposed to come and have it in camp, but of course he didn't. But you know how it is. That um, but uh, yeah, so with a machete, the thing is, you, it's not an expensive item, and you can yeah. modify it and adapt it to exactly what you want to do. Right. Okay. And it, it's also a technique thing. Sometimes uh, I'd like to do. I will reach for my machete before I reach for any other blade when I need to cut something in the jungle. Yeah. Just because that's the way I, I, I work. It's not a you know a pride issue. It's just it's right there. I need to cut something and grab my machete first. Yep. And I've optimized it to work with me. And every part of it does something which I need to do on a regular basis. There's no gimmicks here. There's nothing yeah, which I've, what you do. I'm not forcing this blade to try and do things which you know normally it wouldn't do. It's this the way I work with a machete and yep. I. I've got it figured out. I haven't gone back since I came up with this one here. I have not. Uh, I've, I've carried no other machete since I came up with this one. Cool. Now the other thing you've got is you've got a uh, neck knife survival system. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you don't have to tell us what knife it is because I understand it's uh, not available anymore. But no, basically, you've got a neck knife that has a flat kydex sheath on it. Yeah, it's got straight walls on the sides of the kydex, uh, and then I've got that covered with two rubber sleeves that kind of overlap in the middle. And I've got, it, there's again, there's no gimmicks on there. What I like my my personal survival kit to do is is solve uh, fire water. And this this one will, will handle uh, fire, water treatment, navigation, and I've got a light at the bottom, which I use all the time. This is my uh, my hammock light. At night, I'll string this up over my, my uh, cord in my Hennessy. Uh-huh. That's my nightlight in, in the in the hammock, and uh, yeah, I've got uh, BSA hot spark uh, ferro rod in here, some tinder, a button compass, uh, the light at the bottom. Uh-huh. On the back, I've got two breast milk bags, which handle uh, 10 ounces each. So I've got uh-huh. 20 ounces of water, uh, some chlorine tablets for water purification, and it's always there right around my neck. I've uh-huh. had this since the early 2000s, cool. and. Uh, Every time I go anywhere, this is around my neck. Cool. All right. Well, how how can people find you again? Uh, Cole Hain on YouTube, okay. C-O-L-H-A-N-E. I'm also on uh, Facebook. I've got a Facebook page called Per Ardua, which Spell is uh, P-E-R, two words, Per, P-E-R, and then Ardua, A-R-D-U-A, okay. which is Latin for Through Difficulty, which is the okay. name of uh, the wilderness experience I developed down in Brazil. Okay. Sweet. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been good. 
wreckage are washing All along the coast No one seems to know too much Oh, who got hit the most Nothing has been spoken Yeah, yeah, so, um so, uh, I just bought a hoodie, and a lot of people are walking around camp with these nice, soft uh, wool hoodies, and uh, I want to tell you about it. So, I've uh, met a couple people here, and I'm going to introduce them in a little bit, and they're making awesome, awesome, awesome pullover hoodies uh, that are, you know, longer than a regular hoodie. They kind of cover your butt a little bit. They don't go down the, like, mid-thigh like an anorak would which is nice because I, I don't like those. Um, but what it's got is it's got the pocket up front. It's a little situated a little bit higher, and he's going to tell you why. And then it's got a uh, real nice zipper. And the, the feature that really attracted me to these, um, you know, one's, one's the same as the next except for the stitching that's in there. And uh, there's all this great uh, custom stitching and different patterns with... And then, uh, I mean, you just have to see one to believe it. And probably what I'll do is I'll post a picture of these on my Instagram and probably to our Facebook page. Um, but without further ado, I'm going to introduce our uh, the two owners of the company. And there's a puppy in the background. We have dogs on our podcast a lot. Yeah. What's, your, what's your dog's name? His name is Boss. What kind of dog? He's Belgian Malinois. Okay. And about how old? He's, uh, he'll be eight weeks this Sunday. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow. Yep, tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. So, obviously, he's been weaned. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. He's yeah. been on puppy food for about four weeks. Nice. Yeah. Yep. You can you can bring him over. It's fine if you want oh, to. He's, he's oh, all right. All right. Probably needs to <laughs> chill out a little bit. <laughs> yep. Okay, so what's your name? I'm Justin Owens. Justin Owens. Now, yes, if I were to look for you on Facebook... Is that what you go by, Justin Owens? Yep, Justin Owens. And where whereabouts does it, because when you look, it'll pop up where you're at. I'm in eastern North Carolina. Okay. Um, I actually live in Fountain. Okay. And uh, and what's your name? You, I understand you do all the stitching? Yes, my name is Sharissa. Uh-huh. I also go by Sunny. Okay. That's what a lot of people know me as. Okay. And uh, you guys are just at the very beginning of this. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of making these, so there's not really a, a website set up yet. No. Um, but uh, y- you know, within and you don't even have a name yet. Yeah. Which is yeah. awesome. I'm one of your first customers. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, a few. Yeah. Well, technically, he's my first customer. <laughs> yeah. So he's got a he's got one that's had a little wear on it, and it, you know, like any wool blanket, they soften over time. So they come they come to you like a brand new wool blanket, and then over time they soften. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, so I'm just going to tell our podcast listeners uh, when to they can send you a Facebook message if yep. they want to buy one. Yeah. Because uh, I'm going to put uh, pictures up, and then uh, eventually when you um, get your Facebook site up and running or whatever, get an email address and phone numbers. Yeah. Then 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 uh, I will I'll put out in a later podcast. Yep. Uh, how to how to get in touch with you. Now or I could give my phone number either way if. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to give your phone number now? That yeah, they can sure. Call you? If people are interested, it's yeah. uh, it's two five two four one two four six zero eight. Yep. Okay. Now, I want you to see something on this jacket that I've got. Okay, this is my mountaineering jacket. Yeah. Uh, and 
when we when we go up into the mountains, we usually don't have a campfire. Yeah. So this isn't a problem. Yeah, that's a the little hole. That's a good advantage yep. about these wool hoodies. Exactly, and so that's why I've been wanting to to get a. I shot myself for not bringing a wool hoodie here, because um, I have a I have like the Clint Eastwood yep. wool blanket with the hole cut in the middle. Yeah. And I usually would bring that, but I forgot it, and so uh, I've got two burns in my in my mountaineering shell, and I'm kind of upset about that but that can that can help happen from a very small ember too yeah you don't even know it's on you you can get a big ember on this and just wipe it off and it doesn't look like anything's ever happened yep and that's that's why a lot most of the time when i'm going to be out in campfire i have wool on but you know i packed quickly and i made a mistake and now i've got two little holes in my jacket which you know it's not going to kill me but anyway so uh i this is a developing news story, so yeah. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully people will see these and go as crazy as I did about them. Again, the thing that st- separates these from all the other ones is the awesome stitch work, and this okay. is yeah. this is as good of stitch work as I have seen on any garment anywhere. Oh, yeah. And I have custom suits, so I'm telling you that is good work. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of thread goes into it, and we use uh, 100% nylon thread, so it doesn't. It's very tough. It's not going to unravel, and uh, it's not going to rot or anything. And uh, we use uh, plastic zippers because you know if it gets wet and you have a, a metal zipper, it can rust and everything. So yep. we, we use these plastic zippers, so you know yep. we won't have any rusting issues. And uh, stainless steel grommets for the. Uh, these zippers also have less tendency for the teeth to separate and break off, like okay. a lot of zippers have issues with yep use 550 paracord for the uh the hood cinch and uh have cord locks on them and yep. we put the uh the the front pocket on it a little higher than you see on a lot of other hoodies because mm-hmm. you can put a belt underneath this and uh, hang your tools instead of having to uh pull up your pull up your shirt every time you want to go for your knife you just put a belt on the outside and, and uh it keeps keeps uh, keeps you warmer too and not letting any, any air up nice the, the hood the, is a little bit taller so that you can pull it down over if you have a hat on, yeah. the bill, or, you know, just to keep it down yeah. over your face a little trying more. Trying to rock the Lord of the Rings look and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, take a uh, kind of a Assassin's Creed sort of uh, yeah. thing. But, yeah, if you want to take it down, like take a nap and pull it down over your face, it'll keep your face warm. It's, uh, it's a little oversized, but it fits on your head good. Yep. And, uh yeah, we're, I've been real pleased with them. I, I've worn mine all all year long, and it's been it's kept me warm, and uh, and they, they, they do good a lot softer. They're a little bit, just a little bit itchy uh-huh. if you're wearing a t-shirt under them. But after about a week's worth of wear, the itchiness goes away, and it just softens right up, and it's it's nice. Yeah, yeah, and if you try one on, you'll buy it. <laughs> I actually I only had enough money in my wallet to pay for most of it, and then I had to take a loan from. Uh, 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 Jeff Venture or Jeff Fournier, and I own some money. But anyway, check them out. I think they're at a real competitive price. Uh, I I can't imagine that it's going to stay at that price. So if you want one, you better get it quick. Um, the other thing is that uh, these are awesome, and I think that if you're going to get one, you better get it soon. So we'll sell them right now for $150. Yep, and it's in my opinion, it's worth every penny just because of the stitch work and and all the thought that went into the design. So it takes me about a day or two to from start to finish cutting it out and completion. Yep. Um, to make one, 
So keep that in mind. There might be a little bit of a wait. If we get a lot of people yeah. that are interested, we can uh, we can definitely accommodate the orders. They just first have to bear with us and uh, and give us time to make them and, and crank them out because they are custom and we don't have a storefront business or anything. We're making these and. Uh, you know, if if it gets really big and people really like them, we'll actually hire staff and uh, and get someone to to help crank these things out on a on a larger scale if folks like them, uh, which I think they will. Yep. Yeah, I I definitely if if people get these in their hands and they you know I'll I'll post some pictures of the stitch work and stuff. Uh, people get these in their hands, it's a no brainer. You you will buy one if you if you see it. So anyway, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. I just noticed the and, uh, good good luck. And uh, keep in touch, and uh, we'll we'll update with your new information in a future episode. Sure will. Thank you very much. Thank yep. you. Yep. Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers. Okay, so I'm back, and uh, someone who has already appeared on the podcast uh, is coming back for a second segment as a fiction writer. So, introduce yourself. I'm Dave McIntyre, also known as Colhane and Picked on the forums. And uh, he, we've talked to him about his machetes and all of his uh, experience uh, doing, basically living in Brazil and also doing survival instruction down there. And uh, he has another facet to his life uh, that I think our listenership will greatly appreciate. So tell us about... Uh, I write I write fiction. And uh, while I was in Brazil, I started a, a series. Uh, it's called The Fall. Uh-huh. It's a post-apocalyptic series. Basically, a biological weapon wipes out 90% of humanity and the other 10% are psychotic. Uh-huh. And uh, my main character wakes up, and he ha- he hasn't lost his mind. So the the story basically follows him and the the people that he hooks up with, and uh, how they deal with the situation. But a lot of the psychology of the story I've drawn from my experience as a wilderness survival instructor of taking people out into the bush and putting them in difficult situations like that, and seeing how they act and interact. Uh-huh. And one of the one of the most uh, amazing things I've seen in the bush is taking these people and seeing how they bond. And they become like a like a family, like a tribal unit. Uh-huh. After only a few days, and a lot of that psychology is worked into the book. I've also been a real uh, survivalist geek all my entire life, and uh, wilderness survival and survivalism have been a part of you know my mindset for a long time. And all those experiences are worked into the book. Uh, it is a gun-oriented book. The the one negative comment I have so far is uh, the guy couldn't handle all the. Uh, accurate descriptions of firearms i guess yeah. I, I, I try not to be heavy-handed with that because it does drag on fiction but i no, i, I love uh writing fiction that is i will go eight ten hours a day writing and realize i haven't eaten some days huh. yeah so you're really uh really deep into it then yeah i've 
uh, the, the series, the current series I'm working on is called The Fall. It'll be, uh, it's going to run six books, and uh-huh. I'm currently halfway through book number four. But the okay. first three are up online on Amazon Kindle. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find them. Uh, just type in my actual name, Dave McIntyre, in The Fall, and uh, you can you'll pop all three books pop up at the same time. Sweet. Uh, can I ask you about your writing process? My writing process. I'm not an outliner. Okay. I, I don't. What I what I like to do is I imagine the the world the the, the scenery first the, the 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 place they're in the conditions they're facing, and then I really get to know my characters well, and, uh-huh. and then I can put them into any situation and I know how they're going to act and react to each to each other into the situation. Um, I'm not an outliner. I don't have. I know where the story goes. What I'll normally do is I have the end point of the current story I'm writing in mind, and I'm writing towards that goal. Okay. And then the, the way the story develops along the way, I figure if if it doesn't surprise me, it won't surprise a reader. Yeah. And I, it, it, I, I'm always surprised at what my characters can come up with. Sweet. My daughter said to me the other day, she says, Dad, I hate your book because when we have like a family get-together like like for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I feel like all your characters should be there. It's <laughs> cool. So, yeah, it, they're they're fun. And uh, I'm getting good, getting really good reviews on the story and uh, very encouraged about that because as, as a new writer, you don't know if you're writing garbage or not. You know, you, you like the story, but will anyone else? And uh, it's been getting really good reviews so far, so I'm very happy with the way it's been working out. Good. Well, I'm going to download it and give it a read it is all yeah it's also on amazon uh, uh kindle unlimited okay so if you're a subscriber to kindle unlimited you can pick it up for free okay just be sure and read that first 10 percent so i get paid okay sounds good all right well thanks for being on yet again well, thank you <laughs> yep thanks for the opportunity okay here's another segment uh we're in the uh few minutes before the chopping contest and uh I've been graciously allowed to use a knife that is exactly what I would have designed for uh, chopping contests. Now, uh, tell us tell us who you are. Uh, my name is Randy Nance yep. from Concord, North Carolina. Okay, and how can they find you? Uh, best way to find me is Nance's Forwards on Facebook. Okay. And I'm also RWN2000 on Blade Forums. Okay. Now... Let's let's talk about the features of this knife and why I. So I'm gonna I'm gonna point out a few things that I think is absolutely perfect, and then you're gonna tell me the stuff I missed. Okay. Okay. So the the important thing with a lot of these contests is the blade length. And if you have a blade that's too long or looks too Asian, they're immediately gonna just try to find a way to disqualify you. So this looks like a very typical American knife, um, and the blade length is exactly uh, qualifying uh, for most chopping contests. Now, the other thing is is that it's very front heavy, which is exactly what you want. Um, the another thing is is that there's a continuous curve from the start of the edge all the way to the tip, so that no matter where you hit it, you're going to encounter a changing curve and that in my limited experience is uh, one of the good ways of chopping and slicing now there's some additional features that he put into this knife um, there's about a would you say it's about a third height convex it's about half height at the tip and yeah. almost full height at the uh, guard right and so um, he's he's taken out more metal towards the guard than he did towards the tip 
giving it a little bit more tip heaviness, giving you this nice uh, uh, front uh, front heavy sweet spot. I, you can just feel this knife where the sweet spot is. And then uh, another feature, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. I wouldn't know how to do this any other way. This is a uh, a stick tang. Yes. And he's got a he's got a is that nickel or uh, four sixteen stainless. Yeah, so he's so he's got a a bolster right up against, and the bolster line looks damn clean. He did an awesome job on this. Um, but the other thing that not having a full tang on this is going to do is going to push your weight out towards towards the tip. Right. Um, and um, the handle, he absolutely nailed exactly the way a handle should be for a knife that you're going to use under handy uh, heavy knife use like this. Um, what did I miss? Tell us what I missed. Uh, the only thing I can think that you missed is the handle's got about an inch of drop. If you come straight yep. down the spine and then at the back of the handle, it's about an inch lower. That gives you more power in the chopping stroke. Yep. And the only other thing I would add besides that is the blade is, uh, the spine's drawn back with a torch up at the top. So it's, uh, you got a little springy, springiness at the top. If you get it in a knot or something, the blade's not going to break. Yep. But other than that, that's about all I can think. Yeah, and this is a gorgeous chopper, and I am going to enter the chopping contest. I, you know, there's guys out here a lot bigger than I am, uh, with a lot more power than I have and a lot more experience. But if anything, I think that knife is going to give me uh, all the advantages because that's exactly what I would design and make for a chopping knife. So awesome work on that. Thank you. And one more time, how do they find you? Uh, Randy Nance, and I'm Nance's Forge on Facebook or RWN2000 on Blade Forms. Hey, man, thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. We got the uh, Knife Journal podcast coverage of the last PWIP chopping contest. First contestant is none other than Kevin Estella. Let's see what knife he's chosen. He has chosen some sort of a Bear Grylls thing. Bear Grylls? Oh, it's a Tops. Is that, that's not William Eccles. Help us uh, commentate here. Who is this that's chopping? Uh, this is Kevin. Kevin Estella? No. No, Kevin. Kevin, other Kevin. Yeah. He has a moose on his hat, people. He's uh, trying to follow the official rules here. Official rules are dominant foot forward. Uh, one hand has to be in a pocket. Ten inches or less on the blade. This guy is very stout. Looks like a strong competitor. Let's see how he does here. Chopper ready. And we'll join the action here. Kevin readjusting his grip on the knife. <laughs> Kevin's hand now bleeding. Okay, all over there. Come on, buddy, get it. Come on, get it, get it. The top's knife making his hand bleed. 
At this point, our contestant is very tired. His hand is a piece of hamburger. <laughs> Because of the, well, I'm not going to say that. He has I given no, one. No time. I'm good. It's a little off. Why, Billy? Just tell Billy me. All right. That's why that's supposed to be in a pocket. As it turns out, it was not his chopping hand that was bleeding. It was his non-dominant hand. He has just gathered his sheath, setting the bar at a DQ. What I suspect you learned a lot about is handle design. And he was an extremely big, vicious uh, competitor. Next up, Randy Nance chopping for Team Nance. He has that custom chopper that we talked about earlier. Do you have anything to tell our audience at home? Excitement building? Um, yes, yes. Uh, I've seen one contender so far, and I'm eager to see the rest. I believe they'll, they'll be better and better yet. Our first setting the bar at a DQ. Team Nance now. The first the first entrant in uh, Team Nance is, is taking the stage. None other than Randy Nance. Just as long as he gets through, he'll be in the lead. Yep. All he has to do is get through the log, people. Randy with his hand in his back pocket, wearing a short sleeve shirt with a long sleeve shirt underneath. He's taking aim. Our, this contestant is taking a different approach. He's taking big chops rather than fast chops. Big chunks flying here. Team Nance coming in strong. Oh, there's a lot of pretty faces here, a lot of sexy young men. You know, it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Okay, we'll go back to Kevin McGee. Kevin <laughs> McGee's been mentioned. He is shaking his head no. He has been mentioned on the podcast numerous times. How are you enjoying the action so far? Well, it's a lot of fun. We're doing it a bit different this year. We're seeing how quickly we can get through the log rather than just going through a minute. And Randy just got through. So Randy now in the lead. He won last year, and he's using one of his own knives, which he makes excellent choppers. Yep. So You realize that he has a team, Team Nance. I didn't this realize year. that. Yes, there are actually... Three people chopping under Team Nance this year. One of them is a surprise last-minute entrance. Sounds rigged to me. Yes. I guess that means you're using one of his knives. The uh, audience will have to wait to hear. Right. Okay. Okay. So he got through. One minute, 33 seconds. One minute, 33 from our official line judge, Kevin Estello. We have right, photographers Scotty. with big, huge Canon cameras. We have photographers yeah, with iPhones. Ladies and gentlemen, I have not seen excitement like this at a sporting event since at least the 1970s when that skier crashed into the ski pole with his nutsack. You know, I get this, we got a midget that's going to try and show oh, this, this is none other than Scotty Lobo with chopping with a... Is that the skeagle that he has, or seagull? I'm not sure. Yeah, seagull. The seagull he's using. 
one inch over regulation as it happens, but he was allowed to complete anyway. Well, they had to make up for his lack of height. So yes, and that and the fact that the bar is at scalp level for him this year, having problems with accuracy on his initial cutting, it seems. Ooh, he just hit me with the wood chip. <laughs> Heard that. <laughs> Ethan, do you have anything to say about the contest so far? That person to watch is Randy Nance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he has a team this year yeah. of three choppers competing really? under the Nance label. I did not know that. Yes, that's true. Scotty's next of skin watching from the sidelines. <laughs> Now he's laughing. Somebody said something funny. He's literally chopped a 12-inch piece, one quarter of his height out of the log. He's going Marshall. He's going Marshall. A sudden beast of speed. It's bending, and it's off. That was an excellent, excellent, excellent performance. And he starts. Oh, he's very fast. Very young, very fast, using a BK-9 going right through this log like it doesn't exist. He's three-quarters of the way through. He's almost through, people. One twelve in second place. Let's see. Is the chopper ready? Chopper is ready. Sheila, get over here. Go! Master surgeon here, Shane Clear. Come on, this is a brain surgery. No. <laughs> He's actually doing really well. Oh, that, that, go high, go high, go high. Nice. Seconds, push, push, push. Go higher. There you go. Last cut's where you want it. Yes! Go, 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 go. Hurry, 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 hurry! Go, 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 go! Push everything you got! Two more seconds! Oh! 52 seconds! Yes, yes, 
Your uh, commentator is out of breath. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, who's our next contestant? Zoom in on that expression. Oh, even with gloves, your host has a blister on his middle finger. I don't know how I did that, but... All right, Will, you beat me a slingshot. Now we see uh, your host is one furious man who has issues, deep-seated issues. That's therapy for you. <laughs> yeah, it is. I like it. William Eccles going here. Okay, you need a back. Oh, man. By the way, I can hear you talking in the background while I was shouting. I was trying to go, trying to. It sounded really calm. Yeah. Chopping away. Yeah. William Eccles, right at it. Very accurate strokes. He's decisive. Halfway through already. Navigate to the bottom of the wood. <laughs> William Eccles, famous for his navigation skills. And his Jeep stuff. Come on now. You got it. You got, you got it, man. Like 30 you got 30 it. 30 seconds. Come on, we got, got it. it. Push, 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 push. Third place. Hoping for a not your podcast. <laughs> go, 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 go. Jump it, jump it. <laughs> Tiring out. Go, 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 go. Come on, you got it. You're at the it appears he's hit a knot. Come on, come on, go. Oh, 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 and he's taking it home. He's taking it home. 53 seconds. <laughs> One second. One second separating your host from a very, very manly survival instructor. Nice job, man. It's funny how it's small. Yeah, you're... you're uh, your host is catching grief for his awful physical appearance. <laughs> Ugly, yes. Big difference. Yes. Hey, I want to go again. Yeah, that would get smaller. I'm going to go get to the end, but I'm going to go. I'm going last. Okay, another gentleman stepping up. Let's see if we can identify his knife. Appears to be some sort of a custom. Gentleman who should be able to generate a large amount of force on this chop. Might be hurt on the crate. Here he comes. He's halfway through the log with four chops. <laughs> Most of the way through, blade deflected into his belly once. Emergency appendectomy. One more, one more. Four seconds. Oh my, he's crushing the record. <laughs> he's a full. 20 seconds less than you. 34. Oh my god. Wait, that's right now. Be fair, it's all Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
that everything? After the last campfire where they do all of the uh, giveaways, and obviously we had a very exciting conclusion. Yes, with a bang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Potentially. and we have, uh, on. I think our podcast is the only podcast where someone has quit their job on it, yep. <laughs> and uh, we might be the only podcast where... A flashbang has gone off in a crowd of people. <laughs> yeah, you better put like a peg the meter warning on that before people get to listen to the show. Yeah. There's a section about 4.28. You can turn your volume. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll surprise people. Yeah. Sure. I'm amazed we didn't have more moments with all this. I only saw two guys hit the deck, so. <laughs> yeah, well, with all of the ex-military, uh, yeah. you know, it, it actually is fairly surprising that yeah, more people. Shows how how at home they felt. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I knew it was coming. Still made me jump. <laughs> <laughs> Scared that poor puppy half to death. See, and <laughs> Joe's dog ran off down the street, and oh jeez, that was pretty funny. Everybody gets to know all the dogs at PW. They yeah. do their rounds and stuff. Yeah, they walk through camp, and yeah, they're always really good dogs. Yep, you, you hardly ever had a bad dog. Yeah. You know. I haven't seen a single, single. I haven't had a bad experience with dogs. Although one year, somebody had this dog that uh, kept like running 80 miles an hour through our camp yes. when we were like walking back and forth. That was yeah. like three years ago. But other than that, I don't remember whose dog it was it got bit by a snake? Oh, that was uh, Roscoe or Rufus. Yeah. Rufus. Got Rufus. Rufus. Got bit by the snake. The dog Rufus. 
Everybody loved him. He was a nice little big dog, and then, and then he's acting sluggish, and the owner just kind of was like, they're he was starting to swell, and he was yeah, They're pretty they're sure he got snaked. Joe came over and looked okay. at him, and he pulled up one of his flaps on his lips, and that's where he bit. Oh, huh. He said he must have, must have messed with the young rattler, and it didn't okay. know to, to Gas station about eight miles down the road. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have no... No soda in there. I said, you caught that Coca-Cola tree, didn't you? I did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Coca-Cola tree. Yeah. yeah, we do. I had to call James. Marty will teach us to forge off the land. Oh, yeah. So I know to eat pine cone buds in the spring. There's a yep. shrimp. I missed, uh, uh, missed him this year. His yeah. plant walk is always uh, so good. Yeah. 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 He had a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And never, ever. I mean, like, he would he would walk up to you and be like, hey, are you having trouble with that? This is what I do. And he, he would kind of instruct you without, like, making you feel like no. you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah, Lord, get your can plate. his wife cook? Oh, yeah. And they always There's had uh, sauces stuff the going. Sauces uh-huh. they, they, they made everything. You know, they were good at uh, camp. That's <laughs> all yeah. there is to it. They yeah. were good at smoothing it. Yeah, good at smoothing it. Absolutely. Well, so uh, if you haven't picked up on it yet, this is uh, Jeff Fournier uh, or Jeff Venture. Yeah, yeah, I go by both, yeah. Yep, and uh, we're just kind of sitting around a campfire up here. Uh, do you guys want to say who you are for the podcast? Yep, uh, Shannon Lee. Uh-huh. Uh, won the uh, slingshot contest today. I saw that. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's Stephen Johnson back there. Yep. He's the one back looking course. for a plate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and who do we have here behind me? Steve Johnson. Steve Johnson and Wolves. Yep. Steve. Huh? Yeah. Oh, there So I actually uh, uh, got a, got a uh, Martindale, I'd call it more of a parang, but, you know, th- those knives are just so difficult. You know, each village has a little different different pattern so I don't, I don't know what it is but a parang looking object <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was a big score uh, trading is big I, I learned how to trade here yeah how to trade good so both parties were happy yeah you know you got something yeah. I want I got something you want you know hey let's work on this you know yeah yeah try to make it that's that's another thing that's really cool about these gatherings is the the trading that goes on and the problem is, is I always have to fly in because you guys are spoiled. So, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, one a machete that I can't take home without mailing it to myself. Yeah. yeah, and so, well, the main thing is, is I, I can't bring trade goods. Yeah. And I've yeah. got lots of stuff. I, I mean, I've got a house full of camping stuff that I could easily do without, but. Just getting it to the gatherings that gets me. Well, hopefully, with the uh, when, when uh, J- what Jim was talking about, yeah, might be a little, might be more possible. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think um, like like Jim was saying that it'll probably transition at least for one year up to Michigan and then it'll move around. But I think he was making it sound like it is going to be harder than it really is. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah, know. everybody was like GPS. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, missing that land navigation course was a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> well, and we, uh, as part of the podcast, we started something that was very difficult, like that. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't see, I don't see PWYP turning into anything too hardcore. So I, yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. But. Um, Otherwise, there'll be like ten people there. <laughs> yeah, well, it was fun to go up on the mountain though when there was nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah. He was like, cut trees. There's too many of them. <laughs> you want to build a shelter? Remember, he built that table between that. There was like a fork oh, yeah. tree of three trees. Oh, and he, yeah. he built. They built a table of trees pieces. They lashed they it together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was like the main table that everybody used if you came up and you had to set something out. Or, we built a table, built a chair. Yeah. Cool. There was always coffee. I remember that giant that cheese wheel. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That giant cheese that wheel. That was great. That they're yeah. like bringing this stuff up. I was like a twenty-five high pound cheese wheel. Who brought the cheese wheel? It was a never-ending cheese wheel. Uh, you know, uh, I don't lady. remember. Yeah, it was a lady. Yeah. I remember that. We had to use a Bark River plane. Oh yeah. It was like jammed into uh, it. <laughs> the Bark River fillet knife because it was the only knife big enough and strong enough to. You won one of them. Cut Shannon. that deep. Yeah. <laughs> Shannon won one. Yeah, Shannon won one. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so the lots of, you know, I've only been here three times, and I would have been here more, but a lot of times uh, I was in other countries doing stuff. But uh, lots of fun. So uh, you, uh, in addition to joining the uh, Bushcraft Geeks uh, D&D group, yeah. <laughs> uh, our newest member, Yes. Uh, world premiere announcement here. <laughs> um, you do some uh, fiction writing. Yeah, yeah, I write uh, pulp fiction for Airship Twenty Seven and uh, other sources. We're going to be. Uh, I just, you know, I just like that type of fiction. The early, you know, thirties, uh-huh. forties adventure stuff. Uh-huh. Anything from Victorian era on up to, you know, fifties, yep. <laughs> something like that. It's all fun, you know, the yep. Shadow Doc Savage type stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I like that stuff, and I bought a book from you. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're going to like this in-bed stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into that. It's going to go with me on the plane. Oh, good. Yeah, it's yeah. a good read. It, it reads really well. I, uh, the other um, the other authors that were uh, also writing in the anthology, were, uh, most of them are really, really, really good professional writers. They all, they're big, semi-big names, and they just, you know, they want to... They want to write these kind of stories, uh-huh. and it definitely shows. They they pick a a topic or a character that that you know the the, the uh, company has the rights to or the rights have lapsed. Yeah, and they start going with it, and suddenly, you know, fans who, who remember reading a story about some obscure character in the fifties, or thirties, or forties, uh-huh. suddenly they're like the new adventures of Sergeant Janus, <laughs> you know, yeah. or something they're like what? There's new ones, you know? Yeah. You know, we've had also had uh, people create original characters. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the editor, Ron Fortier, he's the publisher of the, the yeah. 27. He created an original character called Brother Bones, who is a uh, a mobster whose face is a ghostly skeleton because he was an evil jerk in life. Uh-huh. And he was an enforcer for the mob, and when he died under cruel circumstances, he realized that he screwed up. Mm-hmm. So he was sent back to Earth to... Make criminals pay. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. <laughs> it's become kind of a you know a semi horror, semi crime noir type stuff. You know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. They have a lot of different, uh, a lot of different genres. They'll do these you know kind of the super science detective. They're Sherlock Holmes stories. Really? Um, he, that's public domain now. See what it is is in England, many of the Sherlock Holmes stories are owned by the Arthur Conan Doyle estate. Yeah. But when they were published in America and the rest of the world, uh-huh. the he didn't file a copyright, and they're out of the copyright. They've, they've been out for almost a hundred years. Uh-huh. So uh, technically, they're public domain. If the characters mentioned, you can use it. So a lot of the stories are in public domain. 
So they're like getting these authors and like, hey, we're going to make just, you know, let's write a home story. If you want to write a Holmes and Mike and the Watson story, write one up. And they try and do it in the, in the mode of the way Arthur Conan Doyle did it. Yep. And they're on volume seven now. And every time they release it, it sells better than the previous volume. Wow. And it's their number one seller, I believe, That's that they cool. have for their, for their title. And, uh, they they try to keep it. There's no Indiana Holmes. Yeah. You know, I mean, as much as everybody loved the Downey movie, it was it was very far from the characters. You know, he's he's a detective finding trying to solve the mystery. Yeah. And they definitely want stories like that. And I've got I'm working on a story. It's got knife content actually. Nice for a Sherlock Holmes story, but I'm still working on it. It's, it's puzzling out a story to present a puzzle to the readers is a lot tougher. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Did you? Uh did you happen to catch the Sherlock Holmes ones that they're making now, the British ones? BBC with uh, yeah. Cumberbatch. Yeah, yeah, those are amazing. I'm yeah. really a big fan. I think that he translated it well using the cell phone as like a, a, a method of storytelling silently on the screen. Yeah. Uh, also, the the way the characters, you know, act is true to the character, but way different than they would be unless Conan Doyle actually envisioned them in this era originally. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a favorite at our house. Uh, yeah, that's. It. I'd have to say, uh, you know, we don't have television, so uh, my wife and I will watch some Netflix stuff. Like we'll watch like a half an hour. Yeah. A night before we go to bed. There you go. That is yes. We we listen to uh, when we go to sleep. We listen to uh, old time radio podcasts and uh, other. Oh yeah. Uh, they got uh, one of our favorites is uh, Tales of the Red Panda and Jack okay. Justice, put up by uh, Decoder Ring Theater. Okay. And they will actually have, it's just like a radio serial. They'll just sit there and they have a character that they've literally done these radio serials for eight years, released them on the net for free. They take donations to keep the place going. They're very popular. And uh, there's even some radio stations in Canada that have started playing it from episode one. Unlike Sundays, they start playing it. Wow. I so they're actually going full circle from the new high tech that come out using the old art form and they're now going back to their original radio releasing i'll have to yeah i'll have to check that out i'm a i think one of the cool things about uh podcasts is um you know if you're interested in something the chances are there's going to be a podcast out there oh yeah whereas you know where else i mean youtube is another thing you know where Mm -hmm. if you're interested in something the chances are Somebody's gonna have a video on it. You are not alone. Yeah, (laughs) there is somebody who likes basket weaving in the Etruscan style from the third century. Right, and they'll have a they'll have a video on it, and chances are probably quite a few. Whereas, like before YouTube, like so much, so much stuff just would get squashed, and you would only see stuff that would go through a filter. You know, and uh, same same thing with uh, with uh, radio or. And I, I'm a huge radio fan. Yeah. I mean, I just oh, yeah. love the like you like you were talking about the old time radio stuff and yeah, and so much of that. I mean, there's no way that you could take a, a podcast with a couple guys just goofing off and talking about random stuff and talking about knives uh-huh. and put that on the radio. Yeah, but you know if. If the numbers that we're getting from our podcast 
I mean, there's a lot of radio shows that would die to have the number of people listening to them that we have. I have met several people that I know didn't know you were here. Yeah. And they were like, that's the guy from the podcast about the knives I told you about. And the other dude's like, oh, really? Oh, I love that thing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. Because nobody's yeah. really like, I mean, we all listen to it. Yeah. But it's like we're, you know. Bushcraft nuts, or, you know, outdoor geeks, and whatever yeah, you want to call it. You know, yeah, I mean, and, and it's just enthusiasts, you know. Yeah, but I mean, there's a there's an audience for it. It's just they're not all in one place. Right. So how are you going to put it out over the radio? Yeah, I, I find it fascinating how many uh, email messages you get from other countries where oh yeah they're actively listening and following along, and you're like, people in Norway want to know what we. What will we do here? What we talk about? You yeah, want to chat knives or whatever. Yeah, it's very I, universal. I yeah, like that. and uh, you know, so whereas if you're limited by um, you know the reach of a radio signal or the reach of uh, a particular cable network, you're you're kind of hosed. But yeah, yeah. So you're you're starting a podcast. Yeah, we'll we be. A friend of mine, a uh, writer as well, uh, we, uh-huh. we knew each other before we started writing for Airship uh, 27, uh, Andy Fix, uh-huh. and we're starting a podcast called the Global Adventure Society Pulpcast. And I will be your first subscriber. Well, thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. I mean, it's he, he's got a good feeling about it, uh-huh. and I think that uh, once people start to get into it, I think they'll get the message, because we're trying to tell about how you can... Uh, the adventure tales, that sort of thing, is very universal. Mm-hmm. From even the old times where they used to have myths and heroes and very simple stories that drove people's yeah. imaginations yeah. to do things like, I want to sit by a fire uh-huh. and use a knife to do that stuff. Yeah. Or I want to go hunting and hunt in the old ways. Yeah. Or I want to hunt with the new ways but realize that I owe a lot to the uh, the ancestors that yeah. you did with and and the stories that's because that's shorthand yep yeah shorthand for life and i think that once you get into it you will find that the pulp stories and that's what we're showing with the podcast we're going to show how uh, pulps and comics and tv and movies a lot of it crosses over into those type of areas yeah where you deal with individuals who, who are very um, you know her driven who uh-huh. have a, st- a standard of acting or code of ethics good or bad yeah and they they stick to it and that's the stuff of life, and that's the stuff of the adventures and stories happening, and that inspires people. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure there's people. You probably even know people who have read Tarzan. Oh yeah, I have. And and that inspired you to do outdoor stuff, didn't it? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. yeah. There were there's there was actually a, a ton of things, but we'll save that for your podcast. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> your your topic idea. But um, you know what I would say. Uh, the if you look at uh, strong characters in, in literature that people can identify with. Like you said, they tend to live by a moral code and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, good, bad, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not agree with it, but they stick to it. Yeah. And the the problem is is that the, the reason those stories have so much drama in them is because if you stick to a moral code, <laughs> it, it you will have people who do not like that. Yeah. And so it, it creates, uh, it, you know, sometimes it's conflict, and you know that, you know, I'm not going to tell you too much because I want to wait for your podcast. But you know, some of the characters where uh, 
you know, they believe in right and wrong, and the the big bad comes to town, or there's a big bad running the town, right? And they cross paths, and uh, the the hero of the story just won't bend. It's it's like from uh, you ever seen the movie The Usual Suspects? Yeah. There are some men who won't back down. Right. And, and he didn't mean that in just the criminals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he meant isn't there, there's guys that they're on a collision course with something. Yeah. It can be great, great good, and great evil, but it definitely makes you know for interesting and compelling storytelling. And, yeah. I know, mean, it, 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 there's nothing interesting to me about a story where somebody. Uh, knuckles under because the big uh, new lord comes to town and decides he's going to tax uh, the villagers at such and such a rate and right. have first rights and all this and all uh, the villagers just say, well, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, it, to me that's not interesting. Um, unfortunately, that's what happens most of the time, but yeah, it, those are not interesting stories to me. I, I like the ones where somebody actually... Um, like, says, you know what? No. Like Robin Hood. Yeah. The, the classic example. Yeah. And and they've even, uh, Airship actually has uh, Robin Hood and His Merry Men title. Oh, cool. It's like, like a team book of the guys from the stories and what further adventures they had because there's so much there that that could be touched upon and expanded upon. And, you know, the shorthand of knowing the characters because they've been around for a long time. Yeah. It allows you to get in the story faster because everybody knows Robin Hood, Friar Tuck, Sheriff of Nottingham, Maid Marian. Yeah. They're all shorthand characters that allow us to tell you a story without having to worry about, okay, it's 14th century, blah, blah, blah. Okay. The, yeah, you don't have to here's set the, the structure of everything. Scene. You know, yeah. no, no, you've got that. You don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Like the Holmes and Watson tales. You yeah. really... You know, once you read one, you can sit there and get into any of the others and just, just run with it. Um, did you ever uh, read, uh, you know, some of the more original um, tellings of uh, the Knights of the Round Table? Yes. Actually, uh, yeah. my friend Andy uh, is big into Arthurian yeah. uh, tradition, and he has a character he's developing for some stories uh, that he wants to do as the last night of the round table. He's the guy who, even though everything went to crap, is uh-huh. the guy who still acts like a knight of the round table, still yeah. tries to stop evil, still carries on the Arthurian tradition, even though Arthur has just died and it's all starting to slide. He's 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 not going to back down. He's not going to sit there and knuckle under, you know, even though everyone is against him because he's still trying to help people out and still trying to keep people from being robbed or... Yeah, know, op- 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 oppressed by you know whatever violent warlord decides to fill a, fill a power vacuum. Yeah, that's oh, cool. We're getting all super serious here around the campfire. <laughs> well, it's an interesting discussion, you know. Well, yeah, and that, a... that that lends itself to philosophy. I mean, the campfire was the first internet. That was where yeah. everybody's awesome. communicate ideas and. Awesome, I love that. Yeah, yeah. it really was. I mean, uh, you know, we stare at a fire and we just sit there and start talking. Yes. You know, and whether you're talking stupid stuff or whether you're talking, hey, that's a really good idea. or that's a good name, or hey, I, that's a neat technique, or you know, and then you start to incorporate. That's why I like to incorporate stuff I learn into <laughs> characters. Yeah. Like I have a character. I'm going to give you an exclusive here. Okay. I haven't told anyone this. Okay. I have a character. I'm developing it for a pulp adventure stories. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I used to work in the print industry. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I had developed a character who basically uh, worked in a print house. That was run by the mob, where they forged stuff. Oh, okay. They forged documents, IDs, deeds, stock, you know, things yeah. like swindles, that sort of thing. And he was a kid and didn't know what he was doing, but when he started to get older, he started to realize that it was a really bad thing. Yeah. 
so he didn't know what to do. So when he got out of it, now he's made his his money and his he's gotten together and he's realizing that he just can't. He's learned too much about what it's like to be a civilized man. And he can't sit there and keep doing that to people. Yeah. So now he's going and fighting back against the forgers and the guys who sit there and think they can run everything and just run roughshod over the law and over the little guy. Uh-huh. So it's going to be an interesting uh, character uh, development. Yeah. But that's based a lot on skills and knowledge that I had that I could say, okay, how would this work? Like, how would you work some skill you had into a pulp character? You know, or knowledge that you had about something. Right. I mean, you could easily probably write something about, you know, a medical drama, I'm sure. Yeah. That, that's been done. But there's got to be some other skill you have that you can put a twist on it. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. You, you know, everybody brings life experiences to the table that they can write about. Yeah. Someday I'll write something. I <laughs> I write mostly nonfiction <laughs> for uh, right. Yeah, for different magazines and things. Um, but uh, you know, maybe someday I'll do uh, the Kindle thing. Sure. You know, or find a find a company that wants something. But mm-hmm. it's uh, I have to I have to find something that I want to write about first. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's... There's you have really to have no, a character. There's really nothing I want to write about right now. Right. If, there's, I, if it's not there, it's not there. I kind of want to live it. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, that's and that gets you the experience too, right yeah. there. So now, now you have a story worth telling. Yeah. Well, any any other podcasts you're excited about listening to? Oh man. Oh uh, yeah, my wife listens to one called uh, "Welcome to Night Vale." Oh okay. What's yeah. that one about? It's kind of hard to explain. Uh, the whole podcast is set as if you were hearing the radio transmissions from an AM radio station DJ in a small desert community called Nightvale. Okay. And the community is beset by X Files level weirdness all the time. Oh, okay, that's right up my alley. <laughs> oh, you totally need. They they have like the the world is so developed by fan participation or excuse me persis- participation that. The characters have never been envisioned by the creators except as, like, this is what we said, and this is some stuff, details we might have hinted, uh-huh. to the point where other characters, people have drawn up artwork for these characters, nobody's like, oh my god, that is the character, huh. but they've never actually seen them, they only heard the character. Yeah. And they they have, you know, wacky craziness, they even take the show on the road. Cool. They'll, oh, they'll yeah. do tours of cities, they're going to come to Cleveland here in uh, April, I believe. May. Uh, or May, in our, yeah, yeah. In, our, in our neck of the woods. And the souls... The shows sell out instantly when they yeah. when they get on Ticketmaster. I would imagine, yeah. And and just the the level of um, you know almost absurdity level weirdness, it gets you to think of things like libraries are places to be feared because that's where all the books are and there's librarians in there and librarians are dangerous. <laughs> but they don't tell you why that that's like a cultural thing in, in the world they're telling you about Night Vale. But it's just yeah, you just have to assume librarians are dangerous. It's <laughs> funny. And you know stuff like that that they'll 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 have shorthands like uh, the weird characters like. Um, what was the, the the farmer? John you, John, John Peters. Peters, you know the farmer. And that's how they always refer to him. Yeah, and he's he's important in the community and he's a farmer, but that's really very little detail they have. But he's involved in all these stories. Okay, you know stuff like that that you you, you kind of have to work your knowledge or a little. Your municipally mandated weekly visit to Big Rico's. Yeah, because no one does a slice like Big Rico's. Pizza, no one. Pizza no place. one. <laughs> it's a pizza place. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, oh, you have to go to Big Rico's. And, you know, that's a, that's a nice, uh, good one. Um, like I said, Decoder Ring Theater. Uh, I don't know, what other podcasts? Um, mm. 
there's just like you said, there's something yeah, I mean, under the sun. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just so many. It's, it's. I always kind of keep my eyes out for more of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When they get good, and then they stop doing them. Yeah, there was one we used to listen to about gaming called Animal Ball. Okay. And they just. <laughs> <laughs> they were hilarious. They had really insightful stuff about you know gaming and D and D, about going to conventions, mm-hmm. and they even actually published a free PDF which had their own uh, version of uh, like a tactical war game rules battle system for hand to hand player combat, mm-hmm. and it was called Animal Ball, and it was just made up as like a farce almost. Yeah. But the way they they put it, it was very popular and and made people think about hey you, these guys could write your rule set why can't you write a rule set and that gets the creative people going and you know that I think that's definitely the creative stream you're tapping into with podcast oh and, and to any of the listeners you are in fact hearing a didgeridoo in the background yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not some weird we're mountain animal we're not in Australia actually <laughs> yeah. we haven't actually had any Bigfoot sightings out here or anything I don't think uh, <laughs> just Joe <laughs> yeah. yeah but um, yeah the, there's not to look a yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of podcasts, um, you know, and even to the point where they're getting like some people will find uh, old time radio shows, yeah, and put them up, and you can listen to an original Shadow, yeah, uh, radio show with the still with the by Pennsylvania Blue Coal. Oh, it's the, it's the most efficient Clean, blue coal. helpful heat. Yeah, you know, yeah. And you're hearing this ad, and it just kind of takes you like, wow, that would be what would you have to buy coal every every week to heat your house, you know. It gives yeah. you a little history lesson. Most people don't think about this. Well, in the in the Midwest, uh, a lot of houses um, that were built before World War II have like coal cellars. Yep. Mm-hmm. My my house is, uh, I think, 1890 built. Yeah. And we have a, a coal cellar, and I've never actually been in it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it hasn't turned to a forging room or something. No. <laughs> yeah, even yeah. in our neighborhood, you, you can take a walk, and you'll still see some I mean, old houses have coal chutes yeah. by the driveway. Yeah. 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 Well. Okay, the natives are getting Yeah, restless. natives are getting restless. So <laughs> <they> might, uh, <laughs> cut this a little short here, so... Uh, Okay. Yeah, well, thanks for being on. Hey, well, thanks for having us. Yeah.